Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What Are You Doing Movie? Go ahead and pop in your DVD or Blu-ray. I recommend the Blu-ray. Get the Blu-ray of Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Press play and press pause when the, like, old, the 50s uh, Paramount release text fades back Alta Mountain. And at the first frame, you perceive of all mountain with maybe the word in sort of creeping in there. Press pause. In a second, I'll say three, two, one, unpause, at which point I'll press play. You'll press play. We'll watch the movie together in perfect sync. It'll be like any other commentary except, of course, with four friends in your head. Dot com. Those friends are myself, as always. Teague Christie, my friend Brian William Fenifter. Greetings. Eddie the Eddie Doty. Hey there. And Trey the Amazing Stokes. Yeah. For the ladies. So here's yeah. the deal. I had um, never seen any Hitchcock until this past weekend. We're recording on Sunday. I had just, in my life, never seen it. it. Says the man who has a movie podcast going on five years. Yeah. Well, I don't, and who yeah. insisted we do Vertigo this week? Welcome to Earth. Wasn't my idea. Yeah. Anyway, no. I, yeah. Whose idea I, was it? It was none of our ideas. Why are we doing this movie? The wind chose it, Trey. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, uh, I'm, so like I'm fine with this. No, I I and what's crazy is I was expecting not to like it or at least to have to appreciate it instead of like it, you know? Like with some old movies it's like this, yeah, okay, this is an important movie, I get it, but I don't actually enjoy watching this, but I'm not going to tell people that because I feel like an idiot if I say that I don't like old movies. I was expecting to have to go through that with these and um Sure enough, not at all. I thought Vertigo was really cool and good, and I got Vertigo in a box set because I went to Fry's to buy the movie for us, and they didn't have Vertigo by itself, and in a stroke of genius, I went to the scary box set aisle that's on the other side of the porn aisle, which I didn't know that was there, but there's a whole porn aisle at Fry's too, and sure enough- Like box set compilations of porn? Wow. Yeah, dude. Oh, man. <laughs> in Blu-ray? In, in Blu-ray. 3D Blu-ray. Check, and the, there's check a, the special features. There's a five Blu-ray set, all restored- prints of the birds rear window north by northwest psycho and vertigo 50 bucks Shit. yeah i'm That's like all right totally well i'm basically just going all in on this i have never seen a hitchcock movie but why not so i bought all five of them watched this one loved it the next night last night i watched psycho for the first time and loved that more i love yeah. psycho and uh, i'm just astounded because i would have figured hitchcock would be kind of off-putting for for someone as young as me I didn't grow up with this, and I'm not the kind of person who tends to like old movies just as a rule. I have to like the good ones. Otherwise, they just kind of put me off. And for some reason, Hitchcock is just not what I thought Hitchcock would be. It's really inviting and cool and accessible, and I had a good time watching it. So I'm looking forward to talking about this one. Wait until you guys see this goddamn restoration. It is gorgeous. Anyway, Brian? Vertigo, Hitchcock? Yeah, uh, Hitchcock has uh, actually a really surprising amount of, of staying power, in my opinion. Uh, you can watch... Even his older, you know, his really older stuff it still has genuine power on its own. It doesn't just have that, what you were talking about, like, well, I understand, you know, this is, this, this is the textbook. This is where the textbook came from. So I appreciate it on that level. It still has some amount of power. Uh, in terms of Vertigo itself, it is actually one of my least favorite of the Hitchcock that I've seen. And I've seen about a handful, maybe half a dozen or 10 or so. I actually, when we were circling that we were going to do this, I was like, yeah, I don't think I've seen Vertigo. So yeah, we can do it, but I'll have to watch it. And then I started watching it and realized I had actually seen it, and rather recently, like within the last year or so, and then completely forgotten I had. That's so, interesting, because all the highfalutin folks say that this is his masterpiece. This is the best one. Which I don't really agree with, to be perfectly honest. Um, Just on the two that I've seen, I don't agree with it either, to be honest. Yeah, it's, um, frankly, I think it's rather slow, and it's got an enormous amount of fat to it, in terms of shoe leather kind of things, which is, you know, much more acceptable in the era in which it was produced than in today, and perfectly aware that my own sensibility is different but even in just within hitchcock's body of work it's not it's not my favorite if i had to pick i think i would say rear window is probably my favorite Ooh, i haven't even seen that one yet but i have it i can't wait to watch that really good now eddie when i when i first saw this i posted on facebook right after watching it saying hey you guys i just saw vertigo for the first time (laughs) return return vertigo is kind of fucked up (laughs) and you were like yup 
Yeah, like, no, like you were like John C. Riley in Step Brothers. Yep. <laughs> no, that's and that's exactly why it's and that's part of the reason why it's probably in my top. I, I alter, you know, I have a huge. I'm a huge Vertigo fan. I have a, a huge Vertigo poster in my office. I've got um, got a bad case of Vertigo. Got a bad case. Of, you well, can't. You came with a book of Hitchcockness. I did. Doctor, I brought. Doctor. I brought Hitchcock piece by piece. Which, if you are Eddie's Hitchcock, is on the table. If you if you if you literally have any interest uh, in Hitchcock whatsoever, and you've got about. I don't know, like eighty bucks to spare. This was a Christmas gift for me uh, last year. Uh, get Hitchcock piece by piece. It's ama- it's amazing on its own. This movie I love for a few reasons. One, I think it's I actually really enjoy the pacing. I think there's a difference between slow and torturous, and this is designed to be intentionally torturous. I love how abjectly bleak it is. This is two years before Psycho. It should be noted. So, uh, and Psycho moves. Psycho has a ton of yes, like Psycho's Psy- like a freight train. It's a freight train. North by Northwest moves. Strangers on a train moves because they're on a train. But this it has an extraordinarily deliberate pace for a reason. We'll get into that later. But I think it's Jimmy Stewart's best performance. I think I just I really admire the balls of telling this story with what was America's Tom Hanks at the time. I wouldn't say this is my absolute favorite. I think Shadow of a Doubt is my favorite. Uh, which, if you haven't seen, run, don't walk. You want to talk about a lovable America sweetheart in Joseph Cotton being a complete dickbag. Uh, <laughs> then, then have at it. But this movie, I really the biggest thing about Hitchcock, all of his monsters are just people, not even bad people, just people in circumstances and situations. And you put the right amount of pressure on somebody, and they can become Hitchcock extra- would have loved Breaking Bad. Extra- yeah, extraordinarily villainous and torturous. And I think he was not necessarily obsessed with dark for dark's sake. I think he was obsessed with dark and people who you know get it dug out of them by various circumstances. And this movie is a shining example of it. Also, if you love the Bay Area. You'll really love the the vistas and the footage of this, oh, dude. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it is for some as someone who really loves San Francisco, this is a great. Uh, let's just enjoy being in San Francisco movie. Um, I will have a lot more to say about it then, but I I think y'all are crazy if you uh, don't see the uh, the merit in it. But you know, to each his own. Your mileage may vary. I love this movie. Now, uh, just so you're comfortable, audience, we, it's not just a bunch of dudes in their twenties and thirties here. We also got a guy who's been around for a while, uh, a, a professional film appreciator. He's been in the business for for went twenty thirty school. years. He went to film school. So Trey, your experience with Vertigo, what yeah. it means to you? Funny story there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Runs out of the room. Vertigo. Vertigo is one of the. I haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock. Um, I've seen a f- decent amount. Kind of the kind of the you know the highlights. The strangely enough, the the movie of Hitchcock's that I've seen far and away the most is Family Plot, which was his very last movie. <laughs> what? Uh, Lucky there's a Family Plot. That's because, um, and that's because oh um, I was at the time I was you know an AV nerd in high school, and Family Plot came out, and we we ran it. You know that was the movie one weekend, and so we had the print, and so we ran the print a lot to, to watch this movie. So I've seen Family Plot like eight or ten times, but that was thirty five years ago. Um, I've seen a you know, fair amount. I've seen like the highlights, like North by Northwest. I've seen Psycho. I've seen Lifeboat because you kind of have to check that one out if you're working your way through Hitchcock. Strangers on a Train. I've seen a um, few others. Um, had never seen this one, so I was okay. This is a classic one. Some you know, many people say it's better than Citizen Kane. All right, well, great. Um, when we were going to do it, so a couple days ago, I, I got it and and started watching it and stopped watching it and and. My word. Started watching it some more and literally stopped it because I figured I hadn't cleaned my toilet in a while. So I turned it off to clean my toilet. I uh, got that out of the way. That was nice. I vacuumed. Um, at this point, uh, I have not seen the last hour of this movie. Could not get through it. So apparently that's when something actually happens because I read, you know, I've watched, watched the movie. Didn't understand what the hell was going on. Read the Wikipedia article. Don't understand what's going on. 
nothing in the Wikipedia article actually happened on screen during the hour and a half of this movie that I've seen. So apparently <laughs> everything happens in the end where suddenly this turns into something happening. So Eddie's expression is great, right? Where now. apparently oh, someone dies and, 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 the, and the whole point of him having vertigo suddenly starts to have meaning again, which has no, th- no bearing on the plot for 90 minutes. Um, not a fan of this movie at all so far, but uh, you know it might redeem itself when I finally see the ending. So, Are you a fan of other Hitchcock movies? I, I've never been a huge Hitchcock fan. He, he's a little mannered and a little, you know, he's always been a little too stagey and mannered and and uh, compared to other, you know, filmmakers of the same era. Like, I just, I happen to watch, just by point of comparison, I happen to watch 12 Angry Men for the first time ever. I haven't seen that one the either. other day. I need to catch up on that and one. And 12 Angry Men is... And, and 12, I don't listen to podcasts, I don't listen yeah. to commentaries, and I haven't seen any movies. And 12, Hi, this is the movie 12 podcast. Angry Men is also, I think, of, you know, a late 50s, uh, maybe early 60s movie. So it's, again, you know, it's, it's black and white, but it's, it's a total New York movie, and everyone in it is, is, you know, right out of the actor's studio, and it's a whole different style of movie making and a whole different style of acting and everything else, and, and, and writing, too. And it's it's the counterpoint to this kind of movie, and uh, this one's just it was just phenomenally slow. I my the most fascinating thing about this is it's shot in VistaVision, and and I I I, I want to bring Laura Beth back or something because some of these shots are like either one of the weirdest like shots ever made, or everything in this movie is done with rear projection. I can't tell which it is. Yeah, but the depth of field is really odd in this movie, and uh, that's the most fascinating thing about it. So apparently, there's something about Vertigo to do with this movie, but um, other than I've seen in the beginning, I haven't seen anything that has to do with Vertigo in this film yet. Extroid cool. says, the director of 2010 movie, Dick, is not impressed by your little movie, Hitchcock. That's right. <laughs> Adorable. Anyway, so we're at the point where the Paramount release text has faded away. It's doing like this crossfade into the word in. So we're basically those letters are off the screen and in is mostly there. You're paused, right? Three, two, one, unpause. And we're in. I was really into the first scene. The first scene, I was like, okay, this is fun. Um, Because Barbara Belgettis, who I think of as the old lady from Dallas, um, as the gal pal, is, uh, is a hoot. Yeah, she's great. And, well, but I mean, the scene does go on for half of a lifetime. No, but uh, but just that weird little byplay of of them talking in, in in the apartment was fun. But then the movie quickly became Jimmy Stewart drives a lot. We so. talked about him briefly on uh, let's see, Strange Love. But Saul Bass, between watching this two nights ago and Psycho last night, I'm starting to think Saul Bass might be like one cold ass honky. Like he's a badass. Oh, I, yeah, I've dug famous. all of these all of these title sequences so much. I actually like uh, Psycho's a lot more than this one. Um, where where does this go in sort of the overall timeline of all between 49 and 705 of Hitchcock's movies? <laughs> it's two years before Psycho, and it is immediately after Psych- This came out before Psycho? Two years. Yeah, yeah and it came out before Psycho. Weird. But Psycho's black and white. I would have mm-hmm. figured yeah. the, it was an intentional choice. It was a stylistic yeah. choice. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and <laughs> Which the, makes you wonder, why the hell did they remake Psycho in color? Yeah. Why did they? I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> the one thing they didn't, they, they changed. Uh, and this was, I believe, a year or two after North by Northwest. Uh, and I was uh, in Rear no, Window was 59. I was right before. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was right after Rear Window. Yeah. And it was right uh, after. So I mean, he was, he was already starting to like, kind of like stretch Jimmy Stewart's uh, legs in terms of where he wanted to go morally. Cause if you watch Rear Window, Jimmy Stewart is not like an innocent dude. He, I think he saw a Rear Window and saw, and wanted to explore some stuff with obsession uh, and sort of the, some of the effects of that. And, and much of this movie came from that. And not like, what we would think of these days is like movie obsession, not like no. the 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 garden variety obsession. There, this movie goes. By the way, obviously we're going to spoil her to go throughout this entire recording. <laughs> Please, I can't wait to yeah, hear. Yeah, this it movie is. goes into like really dark, twisted. Anyone could be powerfully insane given the right setup mm-hmm. obsession, where he's like dressing her 
so that she is this perfect vision of a person. That's fucked up. And then, you know, basically reliving <laughs> reliving a previous relationship with this new girl who wasn't in the previous relationship and he's just crafting her because she looks so much like her that he can finally be happy with this ghost of a person that he has created and yep. making her go through all these really demeaning things just to achieve that for himself, selfishly. And here's the big spoiler. And the girl he's doing that with is the girl, is the actual girl who will not tell her or tell him that that's what's going on for reasons that under normal logic would pass understanding like these two weird opposite ends of the same fucked up spectrum of obsession and and what you are willing to do and not do to experience love that's it goes beyond what you see in movies often it gets into this weird dark twisted zone on the bookends of humanity that are really fascinating and i don't think i've actually seen stuff this dark in a movie much and all the movies that i've seen that are close to this in terms of what the the manifest darkness are all like like objectively fucked up movies like you know a serbian film and shit like that if if uh, go ahead i'm sorry real quick now this scene there's a weird little film grammar moment here and i wonder if you guys notice it too because later they're always saying they're making a big deal out of the fact that homeboy sh- should have saved the cop who was falling yeah but didn't because he had vertigo but the film grammar is saying he's hanging off of a gutter with no way of getting up the gutter's about to fall off the guy comes back to save him. The yeah, guy comes back to no save him. There's no way he could save There's that. no yeah. possible way. And the, the other guy falling is very sudden. There's no... Yeah. There's no... Like... Yeah. There's nothing about the scene that says he should be responsible for saving him. The version of the story that they talk about with what him... With ha- the version that they talk about what happened to him for the rest of the movie should be, that's Jimmy Stewart coming back. This guy's the cop. And right before he gets to catch the guy on the gutter, the gutter guy falls. That, that's the way they make it sound, but it's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. They make it sound like, okay, well, he tried to get this guy, but he couldn't. It's like, the, I don't know how the fuck Jimmy Stewart gets out of this, let yeah, alone could they, have saved someone. Well, they don't yeah. show it, so yeah, it's kind of, it's left to your imagination. Plus, they're you're, talking, the, you're talking about the kind of the trial later after she falls and the, he, he's yeah, recounting exactly. the whole thing. My, my interpretation of that aspect of it was the fact that obviously there's nobody else besides Jimmy Stewart here. The only other guy plunges to his death and they just show up and they look so i my interpretation is like it's everybody else talking about it after the fact and their version of the story is not entirely accurate it's their own speculation and gossip about i guess yeah did you hear jimmy stewart like he he could have saved the guy and he totally and like none of them were there so they don't actually know i'll allow that. that that works that's cool I was also really refreshed by this scene. I think this is the scene that Trey was talking about a second. Yeah, this is what I, I forgot that there was a thing in the beginning. It's but so this it's so beautiful. light, light oh and airy. God. Oh, dude, yeah. wait until we get. To and like also, the these exterior again. It's like I, I'm guessing that these are this, the one later that it really blows my mind. The one when they're at the shipyard and there's the whole shipyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clockwork is going outside. Yeah. But I assume this has to be RP. This isn't you know this is studio yeah. stuff and it's you know, but it's Vista Vision. So I think they're really showing off the. The VistaVision, you know, size of the plates and all that kind of stuff. Because for for RP exteriors, they're pretty amazing. The one the the, the shipyard is bizarre. It's kind of like so hyper surreal. It's it's very weird to look at. I love this actress. And then on the EPK EPK for this movie, I was watching a documentary with her like in 99, something like that, kind of recently. And she she's one of those ladies that gets really old, but does not lose one percent of it like she's just all there old lady like miss landingham sort of thing which i just i love people like that mostly because i get really depressed when it's anything but um but just she's just like 
a little firecracker yeah. here and she's a firecracker in the EPK as a person and you can totally see why Hitchcock was like this girl just put her in things. she's, the, she's definitely the, the gal things. pal that, that's her role well I believe you know I, I could look it up but she you know she was on Dallas which I wasn't a regular watcher of but I believe it's I believe she's JR's mom in Dallas but she was a regular on Dallas that was like her last big thing she's around shootings that no one knows who did them all the time yeah. But uh, this is a this is a great character. This is the character that you wish was the love interest rather than the the iceberg. That What's his ex fiance? That's what I'm saying. You yeah. wish this was the love interest and not you know the the crazy ice bitch. Yeah, because you know, it's like clearly, dude, that she's the one. Right, because <laughs> Open men your only eyes, fall, man. Men only fall for the women that are, that are good and healthy for them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like you know, she, she's she has a, it's a sad moment. I later on when she you know she's like she has they make her go you know I'm so mad because Jimmy doesn't, doesn't love me. Well, that's the thing. It's like uh, that's a weird turn by. By the way, but I don't understand how the her internal narrative worked for that moment, yeah. but we can get there, it's, I guess. It's the 50s. Well, that, and I think that's sort of to keep in mind throughout all this. It, it, the I think what he's looking to explore is this whole idea that our how we fall in love with people and why we fall in love with them. It's always just incomplete. It's fragments. It's ideas. It's pictures of a picture. It's never... It's it's you never fall in love with the person that they are. You fall in love with the version of them that you imagine. It's it's, it's elements. It's construct. It's little bits of themselves, and then you fill in the gaps in the narrative, and you create using very, the DNA of a frog. Yeah, pretty much. You you use and using the DNA of past girlfriends, of ghosts, of ideas, of of goals, and not just for that person, but for yourself and how you want to be. Right. Uh. And, and because of that, that's why. Yeah, he makes some. Yeah, Midge is great. Uh. And of course, they're not together. You know what I mean, and it makes the, it makes too much sense. It makes too much sense. And he would be normal, and that's and that's why this movie, I think, by design, is supposed to piss a little people off narratively. And yeah, you can have issues with pacing aside that that inhibit you fine. But in terms of the story, it's telling. It's it's basically saying this is all of us. All of us are doing this in some degree or another. Yeah, you know, I'm would not be a really this. you know it would be a really <laughs> and God wish I would. Oh hell, if that's the case, Jed, I don't want to know you. No, like if. If this was a, a double feature candidate, the, the weird double feature that I would imagine would be great is this an Eternal Sunshine. Mm. Can you see that? Yeah. Like, I can where you've got that. both the, the themes of obsession and rewriting history and imagining yep. someone the way they're not and all that and a, 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 a an unreliable manic pixie dream girl. Right. And then also <laughs> you're your, another kind like this, this madness settling in and, and your, your brain not functioning reliably and all that stuff as well. Like I, I think it'd be an interesting batshit double feature. Call up, call up the new Bev. I'm sure they'd be. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I got a great it. idea. Hey, Quentin, I got this idea. Hey, Santa family. Um, <laughs> no, I think and and this and and Trey, this you know, please sink your teeth into the little bit of plot here because it's going to be a while after this moment. Uh, but no, th- and this is what I love about this plot is that it's uniquely to the 50s. I don't think you could get away with this now. Where, uh, oh yeah, a guy is going to hire me because he thinks his wife is possessed. <laughs> like that's he wants me to follow her because he thinks she's being possessed by a spirit of somebody. It's funny. What I, one thing that I did when I watched this scene, um, someone recently gave me a script, uh, seeing if I was interested in directing it, and uh, I was not after reading it but the opening is almost as the setup is almost exactly the same right the setup is i want you to follow my wife why because uh, i think she's something's weird happening is she being is she in danger no is she being followed not that i'm aware of it, i just want you to follow her and then the guy is literally like you realize i don't do the line of i don't this i don't do this this isn't what i do yeah. it's literally in there <laughs> it was like <laughs> so i finally saw this movie and i was like oh okay so you're channeling vertigo when you wrote that scene other fella okay fair enough I love this. I, as as a kid, I was and still am. I still grapple with the fear of heights. Um, 
And uh, I don't not quite to this degree. And, you know, I've had to I've been in situations where I've had to sort of get over it. But I immediately bonded to this guy because, yeah, uh, when I was a kid, if I tried to climb to the top of a, a stool like that, I would have lost my damn mind. I had um, the opposite problem like that is dumb. That is an irrational human behavior thinking that you're going to like die standing on a stool. Mm-hmm. That is dumb. Mine was the dumb on the other side of the thing where I was like oddly convinced that I just couldn't die. <laughs> right. Like I would, I, I got into this thing where for fun and for attention, I would jump off of things at school. And this started with like... For the good kind of attention or the yeah, bad kind no, of attention? No, for the bad kind of attention. I, I, the dumb was, kind was, of attention. Because at the time I thought, oh, all humans can do this. And they just clearly have been too afraid to find out that they can. That is why no one jumps off of high things. Uh, but you, I started jumping I, off of like I the player. I thought that once when I was on PZP. Yeah, exactly. I, no, I was super into bath salts from like age nine to age 10. Okay. But yeah, um, like I would like do. jump off of this high stuff. No, like yeah. maybe like honestly like... I'm scared of the miniature. Between like eight to... 12 foot tall playground equipment just to the ground I'm sorry but that fall <laughs> well played Jimmy Jimmy's fall there yeah. oh my hands are landing right on your shoes oh, I do declare oh. catch me Midge oh yeah, exactly. I've got the vapors <laughs> sorry go on dude. so you were jumping off stuff I was just jumping off of stuff and I like land and like go Ugh! and stand up and go hooray I did it and people be like oh jump off that thing now and I just you couldn't stop me from jumping off shit now I think unrelated to that Possibly not. You couldn't get me into a skyscraper with money. Right. So I don't know what happened with my heights thing, but I started on the opposite end of the spectrum and then eked my way completely to, to this side of it. If I was, as a kid, walking on a sidewalk next to a busy street where there's like a lot of traffic, I used to be convinced. Because you know when like there's a lot of cars going by relatively fast, you get that breeze, you know? I used to think that a cross breeze would come, be strong enough to blow me in the middle of the street, and I would be run over. I literally had to walk like with my shoulder up against the building as opposed to that. That's how like terrified of, of not just heights, but just everything I was. So for as a as an adolescent who was trying to rid myself of a lot of this when I first saw this movie, uh, my dad showed me this back in God, I think I was like fifteen. This was like and that was the thing. <laughs> Thanks, my dad, dad. And that was the thing. I, I remember wanting to watch Vertigo when I was younger and uh, and I think I've told this story. Um but I think I was 13 when my dad and I started watching movies. I'm like, yeah, what about Vertigo? Because we actually owned Vertigo. And uh, he's like, not yet. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're you're 13. You don't know what it's like to love a woman. You don't know what it's like to be. <laughs> wow. obs- you don't know what it's like to be obsessed with a woman. You don't know. You haven't experienced that where like where all you can think about is is her. Uh, and until you've gotten some some mileage under your belt, I don't want you seeing this. No, I was 17. Yeah, because it was 95. Um so, yeah, it wasn't until the summer of 95 when he and I actually sat down and watched this movie. And I had, was just coming off of a ridiculous breakup. And uh, and he w- and, uh, and when I saw this, I'm like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> and I'm, and and I'm, door and I'm, came in and went, it's time, son. It's time, son. It's like you're, you're, you're listening to Nine Inch Nails at three in the morning on a Thursday. It's time. <laughs> Clearly, you're ready yeah. for Vertigo. Uh, and so, in the chat, Rob is like, wow, Eddie's dad kept it real. <laughs> yeah. No, he was. <laughs> yeah. he, and, you can't handle Vertigo. And, you know, my dad, you know, prior to marrying my mom, my dad was a widow. Like, I mean, he, you know, this movie spoke to him in a lot of ways, too. And uh, so we were. Uh, you know, so he showed this to me and I'm like, okay, I need to, clearly I need to stop. Like I need to kind of get my shit together. Uh, but yeah, and that's, and that's part of the reason why I think it's it, it, much of this movie preys on that and what better vehicle for it than, than Jimmy Stewart. Uh, cause we're always used to him getting the girl. We're always used to him winning and being in love. It's kind of like what George R. R. Martin says about, it's like, yes, Aragorn gets the crown at the end of return of the King. What does he know about crop rotation? What does he know about settling land disputes? <laughs> you get the girl, then what? Uh, and and I think very few movies. Then comes two movies about fracking. 
Yeah. yeah. And then and then it's like what you know, very few movies actually address honestly not just getting the girl, but getting the girl, losing the girl, not getting another girl who's not quite the same but is and you know, that's that to me and that's being what, blinded to her because you're still stuck on the old yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So far we're not there yet in this movie. And there's gonna be long there's a there's a thirteen minute stretch without dialogue. So I mean we're we obviously got plenty of uh real estate to talk about it, but um It's exactly how long it takes to clean a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Trey did not press pause when he stepped away. I'm gonna I'm gonna step outside this movie for a second and say, Sir, you take a lot of pride in cleaning your toilet. My goodness. I well For me it's like it's like five scrubs and brought, a flush. I should have brought before and after pictures because this really was a oh, okay. it was yeah, time. Work to do, yeah. It was time. No, see, I mean I, I get all of that discussion and I, I see the material of that in the film, but it I feel like there's something else thematically going on here and I feel like it doesn't the movie doesn't cohesively settle on one or the other. And this scene is a a good example of this other subject matter in the sense that um the the idea of time passing and and things changing or not changing and, and the past going away. Yes. Because he's talking about, well, you know, this is uh, this is the San Francisco, but it's not the San Francisco that I remember. And man, yeah. I wish I could be back in San Francisco of yeah. 1850. And like, do you believe that you know the past can come back to haunt you, sort of a thing? Holy shit! Well, there's a couple theme. Yeah, well, there's a couple there things. Go. There's a couple things happening here. One, you have to present Jimmy Stewart as being, under any other circumstances, extremely logical and extremely just balanced and having his shit together. And this scene sort of an gives affable. an apple. And this scene you have to like him at first. Gives you that. Secondly, thematically, we're talking about uh, reminiscing is terrifyingly dangerous. Yeah. Good memories and just and and just uh, remember the good old days. There is nothing more venomous in life than that. I believe. Yeah. Because Paul would agree with you. And because th- that is what gets us. And because this idea of of not being able to accept the present and not being willing to embrace whatever the future is is it's us fighting against reality. And so and here he's in the position of trying to tell this guy like you know it's it's probably nothing like your wife's probably fine like he, he's the voice of reason and what he's ultimately saying is that anybody is capable of being the voice of reason until the right mix of things happen and then you are going to be this guy and worse you yeah. know and that's like and, and what and, and you can short circuit a person not scotty but i forget his uh his buddy's name here but uh th- like he his short circuiting is Everett, i think i think his name is batman science yeah something uh something far far less benign than ultimately where scotty's going to end up going now there's a really high percentage in this and other old movies i've seen of actors with bright ass Philly and blue eyes now is, I know this is they, they, they like <laughs> that because Philly is the bellwether for blue eyes I'm just trying to put it somewhere man I gotta find a place so that we have a common ground right. Nathan Philly will be our common ground holy but hell look I know that they, they like that in this era because it really reacts well with the film and it reacts well to eyelights which were huge at this point too do you think that they were like was it like actor eugenics like do they not cat like was it all the actors have blue eyes if you have brown eyes you can hold this I mean, was that how it works? Well, I'm just going to straight up sound kind of like a eugenicist here, but frankly, we're staring at a bunch of white people like who are probably more white than you and I are. You know what I mean? Like I've like, uh, honestly, if that's what it is, I mean, they're not really <laughs> But the industry is run by Jews. Yeah, but and there's probably a bunch of all... Jews in that room, but yeah. Jews that pass for white people. Yeah, but like, <laughs> wait, no, <I'm>... what? <laughs> 
Jews I just like to point out, I'm not in this conversation <laughs> at all. Jews that can pass for Gentiles, I should say. Yeah, I was going to say. It's, it's, uh, Jews not equal white people? <laughs> anyway. Jews, oh, wait, wait, Jews, as Gen- Jews as Protestants. Jews yeah. that can pretend to be Protestants. I love this little like subtle lightning of the background back there when it's like, oh, she's pretty. Yeah, there's a lot of practical, I assume practical in-camera lighting things that they're doing in this movie, too. I can't, like, there's, one, there's one where like, when they're in the bookstore later and it's supposed to like suddenly get dark, yeah, it like, gets cloud, darker. like yeah. clouds are coming At first over I thought it was like my TV, like doing yeah, auto like, adjust oh, or something. Oh, like, bad restoration, but uh, no, it's very much a deliberate thing. And also in Psycho, I noticed this in Psycho last night, there is some like, what seems like it should be impossible eye lights going on. Not like we're, we're, we're shining a flashlight on their T-zone and we're lighting up that part of their face. Yeah. You're just getting a massive cartoonish highlight in their eye when their face is dark. Whatever they're, whatever's reflecting yeah. is not lighting their face. And I don't know how the fuck they did that. Is it just a really bright thing far away or something? But like there's shots of Norman Bates in almost complete shadow where his eye is almost glowing. It's so cool looking. And I have no idea how the hell they just did it. Just a light full on spot, I would guess. So you just point it at them. So it's not actually affecting how bright they are so much. Yeah, it's but li- it's just yeah, reflecting. Literally an eye light. Yeah. yeah. So, a lot of things that often in this movie, it happens. We just saw a shot there that did it. And, and there are entire sequences where... It's the foreground is what we would consider nowadays to be kind of underlit, like these driving shots. And yeah. again, I think it's probably just technical, but some some scenes just go on and on and on, where you know it's very kind of crunched. Yeah, you know the foreground is very crunched, and I, I assume it's just a, trying to balance the back plate, and the back plate is not very bright, or however it's being done. But it's kind of disconcerting how sort of muddy muddy the foregrounds is. Like for example, in this this driving shot is one, but there's like an entire scene where they were there at the ocean. That it just feels the whole thing just feels underlit. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I wonder, Trey, also if part of the reason these RPs don't work perfectly because these out the front shots are almost startling in how right now they look, just with the restoration and everything, and also just the way yeah. they were filmed. They look like present fifties, you know. But the RP stuff looks kind of shoddy, in a, like even above what RP can do. And I wonder if it's because of what you're talking about. With there's a weird focal depth going on through the entire movie, and it's only in these RP shots where the background is like pleasantly out of focus, and it throws you out of it because you cut, you keep cutting back to looking at the front window, and it's like you know an infinite focus sort of thing. Maybe if your you're hand like, was in front of here, what the hell's going on in this shot? Look, the oh. depth of field of this is it's, freaking it's pretty, me out. Well, if you, I mean, and I think if you've, uh, we've all spent a good amount of time in San Francisco. Um, I actually. I was up there. I'm going actually going in there in two weeks, but I was up there back in April. And uh, oh, who's April? Oh, <laughs> actually, no, uh, uh, no. Um, I was up there in uh, in April, and I I think uh, it, the city kind of plays like that in a lot of ways. Like if you if you notice, it is a, like, for, it is a foreshortened city. It's like yeah. no, it's like if it's you're, huge depth of field, and it's because of the gaze. Especially no, especially if you're in if you're in the street, like if you're walking down, let's say 25th and Mission or something like that. It's bright because the just the way that city is constructed, and you know your three sides of water and everything. And then, but if you go down an alleyway in San Francisco, that shit is someone turns the lights off. Yeah. That shit is dark, like it, more so than you would see in the alleyways in here, like in, in Los Angeles. Hitchcock's kid was on one of those EP, EPKs, and now she's like you know sixty or sixty. That is a, and she was talking oh. about she she said that uh, everyone called him Hitch. I want to call him Alf. Um, Alf had said San Francisco is America's Paris. I would agree he was a big that. fan yeah, of like he, he had he had come to SF at some point early on yeah. and just fell in love with it and he kept coming back he'd just be here incidentally for this that or the other reason and every time he'd be like I'm going to make a movie here this is a great city for a murder so mystery gorgeous. yeah well, and then eventually it came down to this but he, he he thought this was our most Parisian cool sort of 
Well, ten European year, city. Ten years prior to this, he had made Shadow of a Doubt, and I used to live in Santa Rosa, which is my time, sort of like when I lived in the Bay Area. Santa Rosa is about forty-five minutes north of San Francisco, and it is small town suburb USA. And it was like that when I lived there in nineteen eighty-three, and it is it was especially like that uh, back in the forties. And nostalgia it was, is bad. I think it, it's very bad. And like, I'm kidding. no, but like the up there his whole point was like it was this perfect little small town america it was like it was like walt disney created a town and what he wanted to do was just rip the face right off of it and show what was underneath and and because he believes his worldview is that that lives everywhere and anything we do to dress it up is just it, it, you know it's just it's just window trimming in the chat yeah. zarban makes an interesting point that i hadn't quite put my finger on which i'm sure zarban will do nothing but the entire time because zarban's seen movies but this is the mission by the way mission District. what's interesting to remember is right now even though you're getting sucked into it from his point of view in her point of view this is her just doing her job of acting crazy bitch yeah and trying to make him think that she's really off her nut like she is just full time going to random places and like doing a random thing and sitting there for hours and stuff yeah. like that. Like she's consciously just doing that, looking like she's crazy, which, yeah, I hope that that weird. I hope. Uh, what was it? Batman science is paying her well. Batman <laughs> science. Yeah. I'm keeping that. Oh, yeah, I know. That's, that's, a, that's a rough guy. I would like to see the Craigslist ad for that. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it's like, not Batman like, science, I'm going to her, adver- her advertising her services. Hey, yeah. if you need a crazy bitch to make people think you're crazy, ice I'm queen your available for uh, I'm your gal. sitting in graveyards w- for hours at a time. I'm hot and creepy. I, I, I wonder how ma- if you it put is it- not okay to contact this person with personal <laughs> phone calls. Misconnections. Yes. <laughs> you, you hot and creepy in a graveyard. Me if you flying put- with my cape through outer space. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. If you put an ad seeking that in Los Angeles. <laughs> You will you find would, it. You would You'll get, get a thousand actresses. Yeah. Yeah. You, to, would get, to you would get. You would I, get. a response. I half I, want to actually put that casting call out. Yeah. No, <laughs> we could do that right now. We could post it right now, and by the end of the episode, see how many we got. Yeah, yeah. we have someone at the door for an audition. Yeah, we've had enough of that. It's one of the yeah. reasons I'm getting out of this house. I got a the sort of follow up to that whole thing was the other, a couple weeks ago. A doorbell rang, and I went down to open the door, and there was just a guy fox mask sitting on the doormat. Nice. Oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah. What does guy fox say? He says. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> God damn it, Trey. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Where'd he go? Just walk out the door with double fingers and blazing up. Just. What does Guy Fox say? Okay, Trey, you're dismissed. I'm so hip of with all the trends. You goddamn movies for us to be watching. Don't like Hitchcock. Make a reference to what does the fox in. say. Oh, oh that's this, this is a wonderful podcast, let me tell you. It's a wonderful podcast. Now, what's funny is <laughs> oh, until what is the fox? Is a wonderful podcast. Until <laughs> about the one third halfway mark before the the other shoe drops, basically, and we find out what's going on. Oh God! Um, it's pre- this movie breaks pretty evenly into Act One, Act Two, Act Three, uh, and right about in at, at third and second third. But anyway, uh, until then, and largely like, unt- yeah, it's like after the she jumps in the bay, uh, right up until like the beach scene. I'm thinking that this movie reminds me an awful lot of a previous relationship I've had that I learned from. But it's basically just a story about a guy listening to this girl say things that don't make a lot of sense, and she's clearly very flustered about them, and he's just trying to fix the problems and explain it and make it make sense to her, and she's just totally disregarding that and going, but this. And it reminded me very much of a girl I dated in high school. There there is a certain amount of... Don't always take people's stories at face value <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this movie, I, I do, which I, is good advice. And also, <laughs> don't always just try to solve the goddamn problems because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I found out later Thanks. in both the movie and in my relationship. <laughs> 
Thanks, Uncle Movie. Um, <laughs> no. Son, let me get there. There's going to be a young lady. Oh, oh, just, I would just, just say, just listen to me. For I would just second. say, for the last six minutes of this, there's been not a scrap of dialogue. And I would just say that, you, again, you can have issues with the pacing. It may not all land with you, but you know what's happening. You get what he's doing. You get what she's doing. And I I'll, wish it was happening faster. Fine, but <laughs> like, but for me, he is a private investigator. There's not one private investigator where you. It's not a website you enter in field and then click the button that says investigate, and then you get an answer. Well, now it is. Now it is. But <laughs> now there is, but, sure. but both the time this was released and the time it takes place, I think. I think this movie. Time wise was contemporary setting, and I think, or you know, to its time, and I think that this is, yeah, it's shoe leather, but it's a private at its base, in especially in the first act, it's a private detective movie. They're collecting it's, clues, yeah, it's collecting clues, and and again, the thing he's most known for, it's not about the bang, it's anticipation of the bang. Now, your mileage may vary in terms of how much anticipation of it. That's fine if you feel like the movie would benefit by trimming a second out of each uh, shot set up before and after we get there. That's on you. I don't I don't fault you for that. But there's nothing about this that is fundamentally I sense, I sense a little faulting. I'm going I'm to be honest. <laughs> right, I, feel like there's a little faulting I don't want to cut a second out of every shot. I want to cut 90 seconds out of every scene. But, uh, I'm the editor here, and I edit tight. Like, and I'm saying right. to you, th- it, there is a time and a place where it is appropriate, and for me, this works. Eddie, is there any editing in this movie that you would change? Um, I'd have to, it's, Do you yeah. have any problems with it editorially? The uh, the, the dance number. <laughs> oh, they cut they cut that for this release. Oh, they, oh, they, they, they got rid of it. Yeah. The pie fight, I thought, actually could have been longer. I would have been happy with that. Yeah, the pie fight. It's barely even in this one. Yeah. No, blink, I, blink and you'll miss it. No, I, when it comes, I mean, here's the thing with that. Like, he's had. What I what I find interesting is that Hitchcock has had a number of different editors. He never had like a go to guy. Now Tomasini, who did this one, um, is that his name? Tomasini? Yeah, George Tomasini, who did this. He also did Rear Window. He also did Psycho. He also did like sort of what we consider the golden age of Hitchcock. Yeah, that's four out of the five in my yeah, box set. Well, yeah, and he also did like he he did a couple others. Um, he he did this one, and but even so, if you look at other like Strangers on a Train, which was another editor, if you look at uh, Birds, I think it was a different editor. Um, if you look at those, it's all universally Hitchcock. You can't really. There's still some of the same devices, like the 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 framage of the dissolves. It's always a sixty frame dissolve. It's always like you mm. know. It's always it's always like a it, everything's timed out very interestingly. What he would always say to his editors, um, and this is always found really fascinating. Whenever an editor would call him over. He would look uh, at the photo cam and he would say one of two things. He would either smile and say, thank you. Or he would smile and say, very good. If he said very good, that means he liked it. If he said thank you, that means he didn't like it. And every editor, would always, they always had the same story. It's like if he said thank you, it's like, well, okay, back at it. And what I love about that is that it's not frame fuckery. It's, all, it's his way of saying, I know what I got. If this is the best you think you can do, all right. But if you think it could be a little bit better, give me that. There's one of the guys in in the EPK that was talking about, uh, I forget what his role was. It might have been a producer or something. But he was talking about how the way Hitchcock made movies is very odd because he would, one, never sit behind the camera. He would never look through the lens, or at least no. not when they were filming. He would sit off to the side. He kind of get an idea. He's like, okay, we're going to be looking this way, down this. Uh, he would see it in his head and just either not care specifically or trust that the other guy would do it the way that was flattering and what he was imagining. This this is while shooting. He also, when editing, would basically just tell the guy what to do and mm-hmm. leave. Yeah. 
Like it wasn't like he was micromanaging it or anything. He, that, he'd be well, like, the, do but this. The flip this, side this. of that is the, the story that I always heard, you know, that, that we said about Hitchcock is anyone can edit a Hitchcock movie because you only have the footage that you have. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. like, you know, he, the, the, the story they would always say is Hitchcock felt the movie that shooting the movie was the easy part because he already knew he already figured out the movie. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that was always the legend. No, yeah, yeah that was source, the, I've, seen, I've seen sources. About was that, that, was that, that you too. know, literally like, you know, this is only like one way to put together this scene. You can only like maybe trim some heads and tails. Yeah, he, that's he, all you he get. He shot a string out. Nice. Yeah, well, so. well, but people do people do get uh, people do get a little bit creative at the very beginning of the scene where he's chasing after uh, after her. Uh, it gets a little quick cutty uh, based on head turns. And then uh, in Psycho, there's uh, th- there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of. Um, some stuff he does kind of in the first act. There's like weird jump cuts where yeah. clearly it was a long like dolly shot and then yeah. they just kind of, yeah. yeah. And that's, and, and, but again, it works in the context of that. Oh, yeah. And, and that is still mimicked to this day. If you ever watch American horror story, especially the first Think, cut, couple of episodes, yeah. they get aggressive with that. Psycho, Psycho was also Hitchcock wanted to kind of do a new thing yeah. and, and break out of what people thought that he did. And, right. And do a, do a different kind of a movie. That's his like, in I need term, to see more of these in terms of uh, more, like, more of Hitchcock. Hitchcock mostly looks like this. Yes. Very, you know, stagey, very, you know, very, I will say deliberately paced. I'll be yeah. kind, you know, and, and this one's just, I mean, North by Northwest is no speed demon either. I just find it more of an engaging movie. Um, probably because of the writing. I mean, Ernest Lehman just as a, as a screenwriter can, can come up with punchier scenes. These, mm-hmm. these scenes of people talking are just some pretty interminable scenes of people talking. But when you have Cary Grant saying Ernest Lehman lines, yes, they, it works. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a part, it's a punchier scene. Um, but it's not shot any differently. It's not that Hitchcock shot North by Northwest all that differently than he shot this. No, I There's a little more action in North by Northwest, a little more sprinkled. <laughs> through the movie too which helps you know it's got the iconic crop dusting scene and things like that so it's just but Hitchcock is it's the same guy clearly directing both those movies it's mm-hmm. just the material is different and 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 the changes but anyway so the this idea that you know he's the Hitchcock thing is in a way that I think is why we you know he was a big deal then even though it's not as striking now but you have to put it in context is this idea of Anytime there's an odd camera angle that's not just either a wide shot or an overshot or an overshot or, you know, two shot master, that's kind of unusual, especially for this era when cameras were still massively huge. So, like, just that camera, there was a shot of, you know, early on where... Barbara Bill Geddes and and uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart walked to the door and it was from overhead looking down at yeah. them. Yeah, that was like that was like crazy at the well, time. Yeah, well, yeah, that was like I was like on that, Ooh, on that's that exact point watching Psycho, which I know we're not yeah. doing and I keep talking about it. But last night there was a fucking shot in Psycho yeah. where you're looking, you're above the and second. Basically, down. it was a lot like yeah. that scene we just saw. Uh, there's a door on the second floor of a building, right? And you're looking down the stairs, but you see the door in the bottom right corner of the frame where the camera starts mid stairs. And like looking basically level away and starts to tilt down while lifting up Mm -hmm. and ultimately ends up over the doorframe looking directly down at the floor next to the doorframe with a camera the size of a piano. Like that's a big ass tilting crane shot with this camera that I can't even imagine lifting. (laughs) You would need a crane, a a crane crane, not a camera crane just to get that camera off the ground. Some of these, yeah, just talking about some of these shots where it's like, how the hell did you film that? Well, that's why, that's why, you know, when you watch Rear Window, like you really get impressed with some of the stuff they do with telephoto lenses and like just the amount of distance and the amount of zooms that they're able, they're able to get off of that. Uh, it's not, I would say that Hitchcock, really good psych. he enjoyed, in, yeah. he enjoyed playing with cameras. He enjoyed visual. But I, when I think of Hitchcock, I don't think of the visuals the same way I do with Stanley Kubrick. I don't think of the visuals of, you know, a lot of, of some of his other contemporaries, um, even like, uh, um, John Ford. John Ford visually did way more fascinating stuff earlier than Hitch. What Hitch is kind of known for is performances and 
the ideas behind his stories and just again if you look at the movie landscape of his time he is abjectly dark compared to to a lot of other people um without always necessarily tipping into noir some of his earlier stuff is much more noir shadow of a doubt is very noir but but not but but not self-consciously it's just that it's was, just that's just you that's get closer just, to the yeah. 30s and what you see is a natural evolution of his of his sort of sensibility that comes into this and and yeah he you're a wizard i mean Harry. and that's why he liked to play with stuff like rope and or or even strangers on a train which gets a lot of really cool claustrophobic vibes off of it um at, you know birds he gets he he was you know say what you want about it but I, birds for me it's fun but i never really like i never cottoned up to it much the way i would some of the other movies birds, you, is, you, birds you, is one of those movies that that you think is great and then you sit down to watch it and you go well it's yeah. a, again it's a lot of shoot letter and a lot of driving with some really awesome sequences you know you remember all the good stuff in the you, birds you, you could cut basically. a you could cut a killer modern birds 40 yeah. minutes long out of what what the birds is a birdemic shock and terror i was yeah, gonna say birdemic's like your favorite movie yeah <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to make a good Birdemic joke, and I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't get there. Yeah. In the chat, by the so way, we're about to have that weird, uh, the, the weird sun, like, the the clouds come in moment that's coming up in the middle of this. Thing. Yeah, and we'll talk about it in a sec. I, I'm still confused a, a little bit about it, but in the chat, Zarban also points out one of the things that Hitch would do, and I forgot to mention this: is he is a he was an artist. He was a he was good freehand artist, and he would storyboard yeah. his movies. But he wouldn't like get behind the he, all the things you imagine a director doing with a camera or a little handheld lens. He never did that shit. But here's the thing: he does exactly what a director, in my mind, is by definition supposed to do: direct, not micromanage. He is the guy who says, "Like, look, I have seen your work. I like what you do. Work on my movie. He tells this the is what I want." He tells the cinematographer, "I want it to feel like this and kind of have this vibe. Do it. Do your thing. Do your thing." And if he looks at the daily, you know, it's, and then it is what it is. Once he realizes he's committed to it, that's it. The, the one he yeah, the, gonna, he's going to make another movie next year anyway the it. only yeah. contemporary director who or reminds me and reshoots it i mean but but yeah there, there's an anecdote about like a th- a, her sitting in the museum looking at one of, the, one of those shots like he shot that for a week just her looking at the painting like relighting it over the course so i mean he but because yeah i mean if, he if doesn't something came he, back in dailies and he didn't like yes. it they went back and redid yes it. but he doesn't but there's no monitor he's not doing it on set sure. he's not looking through the lens he's you know it's just he's just there in a suit being weird because he has because he understands it's his job to get the person to do the thing he wants not to like put sit over their shoulder and instruct them on how to do it fincher does that and and good for him you know because fincher legitimately knows more about every single job than the people doing them that's fine that's one way to get about it the only other contemporary director who i think works a lot like hitch does is clint eastwood because when you hear about what clint eastwood does it's like Let's do the take. And I then think we're actually, strangely enough, to a certain extent, from what I've seen, uh, Martin Scorsese, who you might not think, but uh, I saw I saw a thing. Uh, I think it was in the Taxi Driver. Maybe it was that or somewhere else. But but somebody was a cameraman or a DP who'd worked with Scorsese and said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, Scorsese has storyboards," and then had a sample of storyboards, and they're like children's chicken scratch drawings. Yeah. And but the DP said, "This is exactly the amount of storyboard that I want. Right. I want him to go. I, this is kind of this. You know, I want the two people in the shot, and maybe he's up there, but uh, but it's not like every little detail is nailed down. Yeah. So you've got some wiggle room to go. Okay, so maybe like this. Exactly. Oh yeah, I like that. So so Scorsese's hand drawn storyboards are literally stick figure scribble." Yeah, <laughs> but 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 the DP, this D, particular DP, goes. That's that's what I like. That's you know, yeah. I know the zone he wants to be in, but now I have my my space to my own to canvas. refine that. Yeah. yeah. To, well, and ideally, that's what you want to do. I mean, I've I've written a, a few comic book scripts at this point, and working with artists, the process. You know, it, when I write, I I have to be. You, in that process, you have to write and you're directing because you're describing the shot, you're describing the frames and all this other stuff, but you're doing it all verbally and you have to do that in the script. 
and at that point you that's it's it, on the page it reads like a lot of direction because you're saying this but then you you know, I've had multiple artists do like a similar panel and it's like wow there's like 90 different ways you can do just that and I I always feel like the relationship between director and cinematographer should sort of be like that um, in terms of this movie this is not a visually dynamic. Movie. It's beautifully like again the vistas are great. Like when they're when they really open it up and they let her rip and they're in San Francisco. And by the way, this is my first time seeing this on Blu-ray. I have the Blu-ray of North by Northwest, but and that looks great. But this really looks. Really have you seen pretty. the Psycho Blu-ray? No, I need to. You get into this weird me. zone where my association with old movie look because I saw is, it on VHS. Like like yeah, like a is, long time ago. it's sort of this like three way street where you got one, it's black and white. Two, the lighting style is different just dramatically and also just physically what they would do. Skin has a different kind of glow to it because of the actual filters they were using on the black and white film. And it's just kind of, it's got that sort of look, you know, stagey lighting, everyone kind of glows, it's very pretty and it's black and white. And then the third thing is, and it's kind of blurry. You can't, it's kind of, you're separated by this sort of hazy blurness that's either an artifact of it being a dupe of a dupe of a dupe or a VHS or on TV or something. When you watch Psycho, Without the blurry factor at all, like it's it's as crisp as this. It is super, super crisp. It's almost weird. It almost seems like a self-aware modern throwback old movie. Like right now we're making a movie like Psycho. It feels like that. Yeah. We're, we're trying to make it look like this or like there was a Cullen Brothers. Was it the man who wasn't there or something like that where they were trying yeah. to do like an old noir yeah. black and white yeah. sort of thing? Or the yeah. good German. But when you see it it's in yeah, the good German you, is good really German. amazing. You see that lighting that. style with that sort of the filter set going on behind it to make the skin kind of have its look with eye lights and all, and, and all that stuff. Black and white. Super crisp. It almost lives out of time. Like it doesn't feel like yeah. an old movie anymore. But it doesn't feel like a modern movie. And it's kind of an interesting sort of thing. To, and I just love these restored old movies. They're, they're just super cool. Yeah. This one, this restoration was done in 95 and 96 chemically. Right. Uh, this one was not done digitally, which is how they do it now. That's how the Wizard of Oz and Blade Runner and all those were done, where they scan it. Basically, Manos they just do it. of fate. That, yeah, Manos. <laughs> <laughs> I worked on the restoration for Manos. I'll have you all know. Um, and my God, like some really severe shit going on in the, the, sh- the shots that I worked on. But anyway, um, what they do these days is they'll scan whatever the best film they can and usually several they'll have like the master or the positive or the negative they'll bring it all try to get every scrap together ideally all from one reel of film because then it's just consistent and you can work on it all in one place and you scan it just like you're doing a DI just like alright we got the we got the mags from the set today we're scanning it so we can you know get it into the computer print out DPXs or whatever and then do our color correction dole it out for visual effects all that they do that process with a really old can of film and then they just go through with After Aww. Effects and Flame and a few other pieces of software probably more Flame and, and Nuke uh, and take out all the the problems pop the, the colors if there's been any color you know degradation they do as much as they can to find a reference point and bring the, that you know zone of color back and they basically just do a digital process on it this was done in 95-96 which was a chemical process which I would think is much scarier because right off the bat you you don't want to work on the one that you found like oh my god this is most of Vertigo in its original Vista Vision holy shit no one no one touch it you don't want to do anything on that one because it's your safety it's the one that exists so you have to duplicate it but now you're already one step away and then you're just doing these chemical processes on it where it's like this whole thing has been kind of like cyan shifted we're going to run the chemical on it that takes the cyan out of it hopefully we don't do too much and it's it takes you back into away from the sort of just it being an artistic process to do this sort of restoration and into an 
like an absolute chemistry science aspect of trying to do this process where it's timed out literally and it, it it's just I'm really impressed when they're able to do it at all. Yeah. And this movie, from what I've seen of the original stuff, was really in bad shape. And look at this. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I've, I've never seen... I've seen this movie a bunch. I've never seen it look this good. Yeah. And we're, think, we're already so spoiled culturally in just the last 10 years or whatever yeah. it is yeah, of living in a digital world now where we... Not, not even that, but just the fact that we can always have the backup file that is identical. <laughs> yeah. and, like, and you don't have to actually necessarily need to absolutely know what you're doing before you go mucking there you go look at that look at that four points hello beautiful and, and it's weird it's it's so there's something so hyper real about it it seems like that's not real because mm-hmm. I mean, we've yeah. all been there we've all been yeah. right where he's standing like the, that exact area like yeah. you've, you've been waiting there, for like jumpers it's, well it's something yeah, yeah. But, it's something about i think it's something about the the color of the maybe it's it's not sunset but there's you get this kind of flat cross lighting on the bridge that makes it look matte painting but it's that's about not, four that's about 4 p.m right there yeah. also it might be that there's just you know obviously there's a lot of fog going on today all the time and there wasn't much visible fog in these shots but there might be just enough that you don't notice it as fog but it is sort of diffusing the light as you get away from it to sort of soften it in a way that doesn't seem right last time i was at four point that's an that's an rp yeah, last time I was at Four Point, there were a couple of whales, like right, whales. Like, a, oh, dude, in a the dozen bay? yards. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I didn't I get, a, I didn't get, I didn't get my camera like swing my camera up in time to grab a picture. What kind of whales? There and gone. I think pilot whales. I think if you, uh, as speaking of suicide in the Golden Great Bridge, if you ever watch the documentary of the bridge, do one, it. One of the guys yeah. who they interview who survived yeah, his the, jump the guy who survived. he survived his jump because he he talks about when he hits the when he hits the water like he broke his back or he something immediately sink, shattered his like didn't just it just shattered and turned to powder uh and he was sinking and at that moment he wanted to live and sure enough a dolphin pushed him up to the surface like i mean come on like <laughs> yeah. that that's, that's by the way not that's, a michael, that's a michael jackson song this that's dolphins like, right now in the golden gate bridge like, what are you gonna song? do today i figured i'd just hang out see if the you know jumpers, jumpers catch jumpers. see if i can catch week. steve yeah all right no, it's interesting. You know, ten pounds for a fat guy. The, the bridge is <laughs> an outstanding, kind of horrifying documentary, and we've talked about it before. Just yeah. go watch it. There's should, several reasons worth watching. It. Involved, we'll yeah. we'll do documentary yeah. at some point. Yeah. But one of my uh, one of the things that always stuck with me from that doc is everyone they they interviewed the people who lived, but most of them didn't because it's 280 yeah. feet up not, or something. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Uh, and all of the all the ones I interviewed said the first thing that happens once your feet leave the ledge is you go everything I was worried about I could have fixed yeah, yeah. I, I wish I this. hadn't done this right bad now. idea yeah, yeah. Yep. that's just horrifying that just gives me chills yeah it's like oops I've just eliminated all my options what's crazy about this that's- set in particular this iteration of this set his house is that when you look at him on his sofa and all that you I I I can connect it to now in terms of like like a Barney Stinson apartment, like a nice guy. Like this is a cool apartment. I'm kind of a hip dude. I've got some cool stuff and I I have hip modern layout. Like I can actually see this as a modern apartment right now. Not that it looks modern, but I can put myself in the zone where I'm like, this is nicely laid out. I like his stuff. He's got cool gadgets. It's not cluttered, but it's also not like Zen. It's just, he's got like a nice apartment for the time. And usually when I'm seeing, you know, an old set of someone's living room from the fifties or forties or one of those old anything shows or, or movies, it, it looks like, oh, that's weird how they decorated houses back then. I guess I could probably get used to that if I was there. This one, I don't have that problem with. It no, feels like, very lived in. Yeah, it just feels like, yeah, yeah, this is a legit apartment. I mean, I wish I had a, a newer TV than that, but yeah, man, this is cool. Yeah, no, you, Even though you, it doesn't look modern in styling at all, I can still see the, 
the coolness of it. Uh, stuff he only lived in felt very was like a big thing for for Hitchcock, especially Rear Window is a good example of that. Like that, especially because that he's he's got a broken leg, he can't move a whole lot. He's got a therapist coming by to help him. Like that that feels like a very lived in sort of flat. Um, that circular shot that we saw that kind of like bridged the gap Did that gave you, in and then gave you the information that okay her dress is up and oh she's in the bedroom. Um, and Zarban says in the, in the, at the time that was a pretty kinky implication. Oh yeah, big yeah. time, big time. It's, it's kinky now. It's, it's like, dude, yeah, it's kind of, all right, what, man. What, what, what did uh, you do exactly? Screwing the well, black out chick. Uh, yeah. you, you, you uh, but might no, want to there's a director. There's a director named Michael Mills uh, who's done a few. No, there's not. Yes, sir. He's done a few independent <laughs> That's not features. True. But he was a big music video director for a long time. He directed most of Air's early music videos and uh, the video for All I Need. Ooh, I like Air. Yeah, if you Ooh, the, Moon Safari. The the, the video for All I Need is actually a documentary about these two kids in love and like there's two sections of that video where it does that circular shot Wait, the music video is a documentary yeah uh, whoa go see it yeah, that's the, awesome i've never video, thought of that before. it's just about a young couple in love that's it and uh if you just huh if you just there's a there's two shots in there where it's a circular shot of their bedrooms and it and his direct his uh, he said it was his direct line of inspiration for that was the shot from Vertigo. Where is that circular? He's like because in that circular pan, just in their room and how they built it um, and how they decorate it, just it, it you can get so much information off of just a circular pan. So interesting. The this, other thing in the chat, Zarban points out, is that bear in mind, all while this is happening, the unseen parallel story is that uh, Batman Science is keeping his his wife like in a basement somewhere alive just until he can murder her <laughs> you guys damn batman science yeah that's that's pretty crazy that's pretty fucked up damn batman you fucked up but this this scene we're watching is also it's like dude you 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 undressed her that's what that's weird and now he's being <laughs> real like creepy he's being all creepy like perhaps you'd like a drink and she's like this is the most messed up job i have ever had hello this is just wrong, all of it. I but found your But he had to get the, to her wet clothes off of her. And sure, and put her in bed and all that kind of stuff, like yeah. you do. Well, I can see... The thing, is, the thing, the thing is, I can on. see both sides of it. Right, like, fellas? If she's passed out and she's in freezing, wet, stinky and clothes in, yeah. his, in his bed, it's like... Um, if, she's, like but I, if she's passed out because she fell in the water, you take her to a... I don't know, a hospital of some kind <laughs> yeah, where guess. professionals yeah, can address her and put her in a bed. But I was thinking like there's other scenes that's, that you, I've, I've, I've seen the scene no, that we didn't get to see in this movie. Take her to my place and undress her. The scene that we didn't get to see where he's doing that and putting her in the bed is in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where she's like all wet and she just passed out in the bed. And he's like, I got to get this off. And he's like, you know, sitting on the bed, looking away, like pulling it off. And there's a funny reversal in that scene, but you watch yeah. the movie, but, and it's not super creepy there. It's just creepy when you don't see it because you don't know what the fuck he did. He might've like had his eyes closed and just like took it off and then left. <laughs> you don't there's, know. there's no good way to tell that story. Yeah. I swear to God, I just I, stripped you. I, yeah, <laughs> I had my eyes closed the whole time and I didn't even look. Oh, right. then that's not weird. And just touched a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> And now she's like, oh, I guess I will have some tea. Thanks. In the chat, what's your name? Raven Sniffs asks, how much cash do you need to get paid to be an accessory to murder? Who are Eddie, we you want to take that? I'd yeah, need, no, I I'd need more fuck. information. Why am, I, why am I the morally loose one? <laughs> well, you're the only one who's actually done that. So. Uh, no, because you made it. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so you've thought about it. Yeah, I've thought about it. Yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, 
if it's uh you know uh Colonel Laser Don't ki- answer the question. If if, we're, if the target is Colonel <laughs> it's a trap. If the target is Colonel Laser Kill from uh Bad Guyistan or something, then it's like okay, yeah, now we're now we're talking. But if it's like, you know, just a dude, uh, the guy's name is Laser Kill, I'm not taking that job. <laughs> that's I'm uh, not the guy for the job. But doesn't that sound like the kind of guy that Batman Science would hire you to kill? That's that's, true. that's actually uh, I'm not Batman I'm not, Science hired me to kill Colonel Laser Kill. I'm only I'm only half making that name up. There was um uh, Chris Claremont, he was an X Men writer from the eighties. He he came back in the in the mid two thousands to write an X Men book, and everybody was all super excited. And I'm like, does anybody actually remember Chris Claremont books? Like they're wildly hit and miss. And uh, sure enough, the first one they introduced a character named General Laser. I had to like, and he was just a guy. He wasn't like a superhero. He was just a, an army general. And I had to reread it like five times. And I texted Sean. I'm like, did they really name a dude General Laser? Am I like, I'm not hallucinating this, right? He's like, no, his I'm name still is General Laser. I'm still like only 70, 80% sold on Dick Army. Dick Army? <laughs> I'm still pretty sure that's his stripper name. Yeah. <laughs> I like the early interaction here, too. Um, it, oh, it, he, he actually oh, he really literally G-Wiz. says, gee whiz. Oh, gee whiz. Oh, oh gee, oh, gee whiz. I just felt you up a little. Dana Carvey did a great bit on his oh, SNL audition. Oh, yeah. and he ended up using it in the show at one his point. Stewart is amazing. Well, he does a great James Stewart anyway. But in, if you find Dana Carvey SNL audition, first of all, you will find yourself in this wonderful vortex of YouTube videos where they're all, they've uploaded Belushi's and they've uploaded John, yeah. all these, all these they're wonderful. Finally, they're finally on the board with YouTube. Yeah, the whatever. SNL auditions that you can find. But Dana Carvey's, he does James Stewart as James Stewart caught in a car with a prostitute trying to explain it to <laughs> yes. the cop. That's an old, that's an old stand-up bit of his, actually. Yeah. That's an old, and it's awesome. Yeah, that's he, a, he has another one of James Stewart's beat poetry. Yes. Yeah, I woke up in a puddle of my own sick. On, uh, on SNL, you can actually, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It's sad laughs, but in the, in 96, Jim Carrey hosted SNL and he did elderly James Stewart and mm. holy fuck, is it funny? Uh, but it was in that really sad time, the last two, three years of Jimmy Stewart's life where he was just, it's like, okay, come on universe. Just be stop, kind. Stop doing talk shows. Just, it, just, just, just be kind to this man and put him out of his misery. But like he, he just did the whole walk and just the, isn't that the, the shake and the, isn't oh, that the one so where bad. he went on whatever fake, uh, it was like a talk, talk show. show that they were making fun of. Yes. And then somebody else was doing an impression of Jim Carrey. Yes. And it was Jim Carrey as Jimmy Stewart making fun of whoever yes. as Jim Carrey. I want to say it was Kevin Bacon. I want to say it was. Right. I feel like that's yeah. not right, but you you might it was, be right. Cl- it was close to that. It's but yeah, and then Jimmy Stewart like uh, Jim Carrey as Jimmy Stewart. Do a beats lot of don't Jim do your son exactly. <laughs> but Jimmy Stewart in the day was great. I, I there was a lot of great stuff there, man. A lot of great stuff. I mean, it's, it's I think my favorite is I, I like it. actually the nice word for me with the movie and I haven't seen all of his stuff, of course, but if uh, in the well, chat, he, Rob says Mark McKinnon instead of Kevin Bacon. OK, Mark McKinney. Yes, that's right. Because he oh, was a yeah. cast member. With the that would make sense. Briefly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're doing yeah, Jim Carrey. That makes sense. Is actually my favorite against type Jimmy Jimmy Stewart role is uh, Flight of the Phoenix. I think it's <laughs> yeah. fantastic in that. I haven't seen the original one of those. It's really I keep I keep putting it on the list, hoping you kids will watch it. Yeah, you know, I need to. Find it's an old one. movie and kind of slow, so I don't know if it's your kind of thing. But um, if it's on Netflix, I'll watch it. Or it's, something, if it's uh, like accessible, I'll it's watch really it. quite good. I actually don't hate the remake either. The remake it doesn't isn't as good, but there's some good things in the remake. But, he was uh, in the original True Grit, wasn't he? Like, or was, he was in a, he was in a Western. No, he was in the he was in uh, the Shootist. The Shootist, yes. You have a cancer. Yeah, he's yeah. the doctor who tells Shootist, uh, yeah. John Wayne he's going to die. So when John uh, Wayne was actually dying of cancer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a very bittersweet scene with the two yeah. of them going, this is the last movie we're doing together. Yep. But, um, See you in Valhalla. But uh, yeah, but uh, Jimmy Stewart in, uh, in Flight of the Phoenix plays 
an affable guy, but the the situations about you know if you don't know anything about Flight of the Phoenix, not too much of a spoiler. It's about guys who are in a plane crash in the Sahara Desert and are waiting to be rescued, and Jimmy Stewart is the guy who knows they are not going to get rescued, and so he's Jimmy Stewart who knows everyone's doomed. So that's yep. kind of the character, like yeah, yeah, just. Uh, just ration the water as best you can there. Just he's like he's just trying not to tell anyone we're all screwed. We're all we're not gonna live through this. We're not gonna get out. So um yeah, so he's kind of he's a tough guy. He's gotta make tough calls. But uh, it's Jimmy Stewart having to make tough oh, calls. Oh it was a tough call, Ripley. It was a tough call. It was a tough it was a, call. It was a bad well, let's call. eat Roger first. But that's it was like, a bad I think that's call. my favorite my favorite Jimmy Stewart role is uh, And then Sharks is uh, Flight of the Phoenix. I was it it only makes sense that this is all actually an elaborate ruse and it's an act because he's really not that good at tailing this woman. <laughs> like he's, well, he's, he's like right he said he didn't do this for her. This wasn't his thing. And, and it's totally justified, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was a little confused the first time, you know, through this movie going, did she really not see the fact that he's like yeah, three feet behind her? Well, keep guy. in mind, I was going to say, keep in mind, every tank is the size of a Panzer back then. It's like, true. Exactly. It's like, oh it's, my God, there's a large white car behind no, it, no, but he's like three cars behind usually. I mean, usually there's a couple yeah. cars in between. So, no, no, no. Not they, there. They, yeah. They went, okay. no, she turned down the alley and there's only just enough room for the one car and he's right behind her. <laughs> also keep in mind, already you're driving un- in San Francisco. I've like, already you're undressed not, her. You're not un- using your rear view too often. Yeah, like really. you're more concerned about not dying at any moment. That's true. Like, like her rear view mirror right yeah. there shows asphalt. Which yeah. is the bottom of that hill. It's like, what, what, but at this point, I mean, what's even the point? It's like, well, he's already undressed my unconscious form and put me in his bed. And right. I hope he's not following me in his car. Cause that would be creepy. This is a weird little <laughs> observation here. Most of the time when you see driving shots like this or they're on a trailer, um, the guy or girl behind the wheel is going nuts with that steering wheel, like left, right, left, right, left, right, just whatever. He is basically committed to the actual car moves in this movie in a way that I almost always notice that it's not working. I noticed in this movie that when he's turning left, he does left and then he straightens out and he holds it straight like he's there's a legitimacy to his steering that ties it to the back plate that people usually overlook, which you go either Jimmy Stewart or Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Maybe that was the breakthrough that they actually said, OK, we're going to. Yeah, there's a technical you, Oscar we're for that. give you cues to uh, to match the actual background plate. Yeah, as opposed to just like the the left, right, 20 degree jiggle that everyone kind of tends to do like, yeah, I'm driving. Of course, hmm, she wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, creepy of him to strip her. But she also knows what's going on. She's not the character she's playing. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't absolve him. It doesn't absolve him. he doesn't him. know that. It's just okay for, for her. For her, it's like, this is just weirder. It just already was weird. <laughs> who, who, of course, the question then becomes, if she's pretending to be passed out and letting him do that, I know. On, on, like she's on top of it, and she's like, okay, well, this is weird, buddy, but as long as you just walk out the door, that's fine. But w- at what this- point would she like break character and be like, Dude, fucking what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Ah. Well, the point ah. is, is the whole the whole game is you know she, he's supposed to fall in love with her, so she's probably going. This is a, I'm ahead of schedule. This is great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. Yes. So this what, is real projection, right? Here. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. it turns into this, but the but the it, exterior well, was also the, real. They have to place the tower back there. Is the point? Yeah. Right tower. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. They they say that they. They shot the exteriors first, and they did all the location in San Francisco, and then they went back to the studio and built the sets to. Yeah, because Hitch to, didn't to, like he doesn't like shooting on location. He likes studios. Yeah. yeah. So it just, um, supposedly, so, this, so at some uh, point they were you know building, and I'm assuming this is a piece of it. But you know, 
building the pieces. Yeah, so that like, would be location. It's like nowadays we would kind of go, what? I mean, you're already there. It's a, it's a three yeah. line scene. You're going to build that entire set yeah. just to have that scene. You know, it's like, it's a, it's a movie you would never do nowadays. You know, and There's then to this, it's track like, back there. See, see, you could, we didn't want to block off traffic for the whole day. So what the hell? Didn't realize Goodwill was that old. Oh, it's been around forever. The um, supposedly, I think it's in Wikipedia or something like that. There's a, there's a bit of a cottage industry in to this day of revisiting Vertigo locations, and apparently that apartment is still there on that corner, and even has, still has a red door. They claim to so people can like, <laughs> yep, there it is. There's the Vertigo apartment. I wish I liked this movie more. I would. Go I know. Do that. I would totally. I would see. I, I would. I would totally research the locations because I like that stuff, even for movies I'm not particularly a fan of. She's this character, Madeline, that she's, you know, the lady is playing too, but her current iteration is better at eyebrows than the second iteration is. The second iteration, the eyebrows, it's like clown makeup a little bit. Like it's going up onto her forehead, kind of. Her eyebrows are weird. Well, yeah, they're, they're like painted on with a thumb, like Simba, like across her forehead. <laughs> um, but... Like right now, they're just sort of like going over the brow a little bit, which is kind of weird. But later, there's a few setups where it's it's like another like quarter or half an inch higher than that. And it's like, Jesus. So who are the, the strangely... You've shot here, dark, Trey. I, but not exactly here, but uh, close to in a similar situation, yes. They make it... Boy, this is, this is like the creepy part of Endor they're shooting this in. <laughs> it's so underlit. Do, like do, do, I, I do remember, I do do, remember on do, some of the do. Pink 5 shots when we were losing light. Like I was trying to be off key. I had, I had a couple thoughts there where I was like, we need to get out of here before spirits come. <laughs> yeah, before the, before the woods eats us. Before that's the, the thing. It's like, it's like before the, the ants come to life and have their, their antimony. I want to be it's out like of here before the nymphs. It's like yeah. they're saying there's no atheists in foxholes. It's like, there are atheists in foxholes. I'm not sure there's atheists in the woods at in night. In the river. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what, because then you're like, you're not necessarily believing in a singular Christian God. You're believing in like the, the 9,000 sport, uh, forest spirits. Yeah. These trees are literally <laughs> older than Jesus. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, you know, if you wanted to, there's there's nothing stopping you. I don't think. I don't think it's even illegal. If you want to be a giant dick, you can go out to the woods and just find people who are camping and just be out in this like away from them <laughs> and just like bring like a piccolo and like be freaky and just make sounds <laughs> all night long. I don't think there is a specific law. I don't think there's that, a law no. against that. So you know, I'm just saying. Just the, they could probably find something. I'm yeah, sure. go Blair Witch there's, people. You know, this it's, it's like the the uh, exception proves the rule in that case. You can't spook people here. Ah, okay. So I can spook them everywhere else? Is that what you're saying? I want to uh, amend my previous statement. North by Northwest. We can't hear you, sir. Uh, sorry. I want to amend my previous statement. Uh, Vertigo was 1958. North by Northwest was 59. Psycho was 60. 63 was The Birds. So uh, so which uh, four classic movies have you made in the last five years, guys? Yeah. Rear Window huh. was 54. That was the only uh, that and Dialing for Murder and Strangers on a Train and Shadow of a Doubt were some of the bigger ones before. Yeah, there was one. those were forties. If you had asked me to to place those in in a chronological order, I would have gotten it completely wrong. Right, it's like it's like works of Shakespeare. I think, I think there's some that we all know come before this. Like we all know, like Notorious was before this. We all know. Oh course. yeah, we all know that. <laughs> yeah, four correspondent. Well, Lifeboat and North and those are World War Two era. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ro- Rope was forty eight. Uh, but yeah, prior to prior to like thirty nine, my my Hitchcock filmography is well, yeah, not as like, strong. Yeah. Under Capricorn, where does that go? I have no idea. Uh, forty nine. 
There you go. I got the full list here in my book. Yeah, there you so. go. So yeah, I knew I knew that you know Psycho was '60s because I was aware of Psycho, and then right. sort of retroactively like, oh, that guy did other films, older films. My wife is legit a huge fan of uh, Dialing for Murder. Like that one, like she really, really likes. And actually, I, I do want to say the remake is not awful. Like I would say, I could see how some people might even prefer that one to the original Dialing for Murder because Dialing for Murder is it was 3D. It was like kind of a it was a, a bit gimmicky. Like they definitely like took advantage of early 3d. Oh, something's coming at your face. Uh, that's right. I forgot that that was, so yeah, 3D. that was like a big 3d yeah. one. Um, and, uh, whereas the remake doesn't sort of concern itself with that. You know, it's occurring to me, the, the, the dichotomy I was trying to explain earlier about how I was surprised that Hitchcock's movies were accessible and not X. I think I'm actually thinking of Kubrick. Uh, I think I might be just in terms of, I'm not lumping him in Hitchcock in with old movies. I'm lumping him in with old classic directors with many famous works and just putting him and Kubrick in the same thing in my mind. And I've been, I found some Kubrick movies pretty standoffish and in the, you know, in my very large sample size of Hitchcock, I haven't found that yet. I would say that Hitchcock or Kubrick is literally what you think of when you think of an auteur. Like he's, he's the guy he's, he's steering the ship and he's shoveling coal into the engine and he's, doing the navigation Hitchcock I Hitchcock gets labeled as an auteur I really never really thought of him much as one he's much more collaborative he knows what he's doing he's steering the ship but like he allows everybody to do their thing he allows he he has this notorious quote about actors but which is spurious at best yeah but I think he gets there like I said the same way Eastwood does Eastwood there's that if you ever read uh, which light I tell uh, Goldman talks about uh, the the movie with uh, uh, that Clint Eastwood directs with Gene Hackman, uh, the presidential affair one. The, oh, uh, absolute power! Absolute power! So you could have both just made that movie up. I've and, never and heard he, that movie. So I remember seeing it in theater. Yeah, it's okay. Goldman it's goes. Stuff. Goldman goes to set. Good premise. Goldman goes to set, and they're in between takes, and uh, uh, Clint Eastwood is notoriously sipping his cup of coffee, and he's like, and he just says, "I like working with Gene. He there's no bullshit. He knows exactly what he's doing." And that's how I feel Hitchcock looked at it. It's like, I hire you to do your job. I trust you to do your job. You do your job. We're fine. If I, I feel like those stories of him getting a million takes, it's like, that's it, it, not for every single thing. It's like for the one thing that didn't kind of go as planned. You know what I mean? He only did that when he needed to. He, was, he wasn't, Hitchcock was not a guy to run you through a million takes every single time. In the chat. Unless you're a blonde woman. Yeah. Zarban's point now. And by the way, if you have ever, I'm sorry to cut you off. If you never knew this trope, if you're a blonde in a Hitchcock movie, Nine times out of ten, you're fucking dead. Like you just blonde women specifically never make it. Like that's just that. And Not that's, to mention the fact that her and the girl in Psycho are both oddly similar looking. Yes, and blonde. Yes, it's like I think I know more about Hitchcock than I want to. Oh yeah, also the birds. Also, I, I mean the, that's, that's that's like a famous a thing. thing. Okay. That's a thing. I think we know Hitchcock's thing. And if you know, if you know the again with this, at least he's subtler than Tarantino. She yeah. dies when she. Dies at, like after after Kim Novak goes away here and she comes back as Madeline. Um, her it's when her hair turns blonde that she dies. Like after she dies, her hair that to go back to this is when she dies. So the blonde woman dies twice in one movie. Like that's the that's the that's technically the whole three times. Yeah, technically three. she dies. Yeah, because the, the original well, the original the original uh, the original guy. There was a pun. So, technically four times if she's Carlotta. If I wrote that down, you would you would get that pun. Ah, I see. Yeah, I see. Oh yes, ha ha. Yes, uh, D-Y-E. She dies, yeah, and then yeah, she yeah. dies, and then she dies again. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, in the chat, Zarman's pointing <laughs> it's out It's funnier that when you explain it. Hitchcock... <laughs> That's uh, what makes it funny. Hitchcock worked with lady writers a lot. He would take a story treatment to screenwriters, often women, and have them do it, and then not pay too much attention to the script. 
and just kind of do what he was planning on doing. But that's something that the EPK, the EPK said, at least, which is he would be obsessive about the script and the pre-pro and all this stuff. Well, not the script, the story treatment and getting it all in his head and laying it all out and making it all like, okay, I got all the pieces of it so that he was bored with the movie once the screenplay was done. And it was basically like a formality to shoot it. He, he was quoted as saying, I would, if I could get away with just writing these scripts and not making them, I would, because I feel like you lose at least 40% of it in the translation to screen. And th- th- there's this weird, like, it becomes almost legendary sort of apathy he had for the process of filmmaking. That It comes across in that line that people, I think, mostly believe because they have that vibe about actors being cattle. And just like he, he actually said, I get the whole movie done in my head, figure it out. And then when we shoot it, it's kind of a bummer because we're not getting it the way I'm imagining it. And also, I, he just knows what he wants. He, if the actors forget a line, he tells them what it is, like without looking at the script sort of deal, which is interesting like for someone who's so obsessed with the creation of these stories and known for his films above all else you know i don't know him for his macrame he's not a big deal he doesn't put a lot of faith in the filmmaking process so much and for a guy who's made nothing but classic goddamn movies or at least movies that you know 15 or 20 classic movies did he ever write novels because he seemed like a guy that i mean especially if that's his point of view should have just written novels no he never. He never. I know. Yeah. yeah. He. Uh, he made a bunch of silent films in in England, which is where I think the discrepancy over the films he made, because all the films that I think are in his wiki page are like his sound movies. But he made a bunch of silent yeah. films in Britain, made, and some of them are lost. Oh. We don't yeah. exist anymore. Yeah. He made so. like a. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I just fucking farted movies. <laughs> the thing is that when you talk to people about Hitchcock as a collaborator, unless you're an actor. Uh, everyone loved yeah. working with Hitchcock because he same with Kubrick. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, here's the thing with Kubrick. It was very focused and very specific. There are some actors who were like, I loved working with like Jack Nicholson has never said a bad thing about his direction or his time with Stanley. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, great. same thing, but, uh, Shelley Duvall famously. And then, um, uh, uh, not Full Metal Jacket guy Matthew uh, Modine Matthew Modine famously like loved him personally but man he thought he was a pain to work with well from what I can just totally speculate of the list of names you just said Modine and Duvall are the two that I can imagine being intimidated by someone I think Jack Nicholson I think it'd be kind of hard to like domineer mm-hmm. same with Tom Cruise I, I, and I think that's part of it is because like I think and there are some people who are just like that like if you if you if you show someone like if, you, if some people if you if you give them too much respect, they just trample you. You know, whereas like people sort of expect you to kind of push back on them. They say that so. about speaking of SNL earlier, Lauren Michaels. Yeah, like there's some particular combination of chemicals in Lauren Michaels that if you've ever had daddy issues, they will come out around Lauren. <laughs> That's just <laughs> yeah. like it's just that kind of like to, it just happens. To get back to the movie, that is he says so much in an expression there. Oh God, I do see visually what he does. It's not in terms of camera movement is not great, but it's what he's able to do just in these couple of shots here. It's absolutely. Okay. Now what's going on with Mitch? This is my question from earlier. Yeah, totally is she in love, love with him or yeah, not? Absolutely. Mitch, uh, yeah, yeah, Mitch, Mitch is, as a character the, t- takes a big face plan. But, right be- but at the beginning, they're, they're, he said that they were engaged, but then she cut it off. Yeah. But, but well, in, they, in that moment, there was a very arch camera angle on that too, where it's like, clearly yeah. she still loves him. Dun, dun, dun. That's oh. the thing. It's it, like, in that moment, he's rubbing her face in it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah, this is one where you kind of go, okay, but let's maybe take this one again. You have to act all... Act angry. Mm. It's interesting that she would do that. And but then again, grabs her hair twice. Then they don't show the pain. Okay, I, again, stupid. I, you know, I don't know what kind of ladies you all have dated. 
uh, I've no limited to do that. Like that's, I mean, that's yeah, it's over the top and stupid, but like that's there are people there are I've people who are that like that. that. Yeah. yeah, men and women, <laughs> of course, not that. just women. But I haven't just, known it, any cats that have done that. No, I one. They can't. They can't get their paws above their. His head name like is Grumpy that. Cat. No, uh, no, but like that's that's. I think what he's able to do visually. I, I think it's it's less on camera, and I think it's. It, I don't know. I just. I, I feel, think it's also she's it's it's she's going a little bit crazy because she was always sort of into him since, but whoa. now she's getting kind of jealous because he's crazy obsessed with this lady. Hell yes. yes. And I, th- I wish she would undress my unconscious body. Oh, Midge. <laughs> Midge, <laughs> her name is Midge. At the time, was that like, yeah? W- was that the trope? You know, was, yeah, was it that name at the time? It was, it was Betty, Veronica, or Midge? Those were well, your choices. It's, it's, it's short for Marjorie, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's but yeah, but where you get Midge from Marjorie? Yeah. That's like my name is Edward. I'm called Eflage. <laughs> like well, that. Yeah. yeah, I knew but I knew Midge a girl named Bridget whose nickname was Midge, but her name was Bridget, and she was also very short. Bridget Boyles. Yeah, so she was oh, like okay. so. She was a Midge. Yeah. She was Midge. Actually, I'm going to start calling you Ned. Ned, now on Eddie. Uh, that's okay. When I, the Ned. first time I read the first time I read Game of Thrones, I'm like, whoa! Why did nobody ever come up with Ned? <laughs> Ned. I would have owned. I could have been Ned. Ned. I would have known. Doty. I would have owned Ned. Ned, 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 Ned Dar. Ed, uh, even Edward. Ed Eddie Dar. the Neddy Doty. We're, we're Rachel and I are bouncing uh, names because no, we're not pregnant yet. But like, we're, we're, oh, we're trying, uh, again. we're trying oh, again. And oh like, God! And uh, we're, and, uh, yeah, that's the reaction. Oh God! Has. We're rea- we're trying. We're gonna start trying again here soon. And like, it's the, the we're going over possible. Please names. tell me it's sci-fi names. She came up <laughs> oh, with there's... she came up with a name where I'm like, you do realize that's a comic book character, and she's like, I love it anyway. I'm like, that's why I married you. So <laughs> would it jinx it if you said it? Yeah, I don't want to say All it. Right. Damn it. So I'm just gonna assume that it's Ultron. Um, and she's like, Are you sure you like it? I'm like, F yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and he's like, off camera. Colonel Laser Kill, are you kidding? That's awesome. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a girl's name. Okay. <laughs> Colonels can be girls. Yeah, they Colonels can, can they be can. girls. Eddie, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it off camera, and, and you know, I just I, I did this. I mentioned this on Twitter. I just think that you know that that can be good, but you don't want to be too topical with that stuff because right. like there's there's a scene that's going to happen ten thousand times twenty years from now, which is girls are going to be meeting boys and saying, yeah. It's from a TV show my mom liked, but I never use it. Just yeah. call me Lisa instead of Khaleesi. No, it's it's not uh, so, it's not anything overtly like that. It's it's a normal sounding name that just happens to be the so, real. So name that's of, fair. Like, and then in, you know, in your in secretly you can go, but it's also exactly from that's, Ultron Five. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like a, it's kind of like a an Easter egg in the name. If you are a nerd and you get the bell whistle or the dog whistle, then you you have Eddie, to get extra value. It's Harley Quinn, isn't it? I'm not going to say on camera. I'm not going to say. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Ah. No, wait, no, I was just making a point. You were just you were just saying. It's something really subtle, and you wouldn't even know. It's like well, like like Harley Quinn. Harley, Harley Quinn would be bullshit, but Harley is that would work. So there you it's go. Kevin Smith's kid's name. I know. Well, the, the well, case Grayson in point. Is, yeah, is a great. Yeah, that, I'm very happy with Grayson, and yeah. she and again she came up with that one. So it was like, all right, oh really? You, I didn't know yeah, that. she came up with that one. And Grayson. She's called me one name. So what about Grayson's a comic I know. book? She's like, what about Grayson? I'm like, yes. <laughs> but that's also a comic book name that she I would, stumbled I think into. You Dick Grayson. That's why I said like it's it's Robin's real Robin's the original Robin's last name. You should call your kid Hitchcock. That'd be a good name. Oh, my dad would rise from his grave to high five me and then go right back in. <laughs> Which would be a great Sup, Pops, movie. boom. Yeah, my boy. Reach up from the grave, give me a high five. <laughs> Just like you decide on Hitchcock and then somewhere in the wind you hear, woo-hoo. Which that sounds awesome, but the actual prospect of that is terrifying because I wouldn't know he's resurrected to try to high five me. That's right. I would so, just think, oh my God, to, the dead wall. He's trying whole, to like, throttle Shakespeare me. thing in your head. No, I'm where just it's trying like, to say, yeah. well done, son. 
Sorry, forgive the, you know, look. And to be extra creepy, my father's buried at a veteran's uh, cemetery where he's under, like, four other coffins. Ah. So he'd have to, like, burst through five separate dudes. <laughs> How does that work? So he's bunk deads? Yeah. <laughs> bunk deads. Oh, awesome. I, I, I didn't realize did, we did, did that. Did he die in World War One? How is he how is no, no, on he, top of it? If, if, no, my dad, my dad, my dad do, did two tours in Vietnam. And, yeah, and if you're a veteran and fought in any war, you can be buried in any... Uh, right, but uh, why is there a stack of guys on top of him? Limited space and military hospitals, guys I guess. Wars still happen, Trey. <laughs> yeah, there's and that's your dad didn't die 50 years ago. No, but there's like it's a new lot, and then and then yeah, people who have died since him have gone on top of him. So that's a lot of dead guys. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's a tiny veteran cemetery. They should, <laughs> they should plan better. It's just one plot. Yeah. We applaud your patriotism, but <laughs> abhor your civic planning. <laughs> it's actually a little make a little so movie, a little <laughs> tower. Okay, this scene, no one will be seated during the scintillating sit in the carriage scene. <laughs> you a holes, man! I swear. <laughs> But I mean, that, again, I like this movie. If, knowing what you know now about the movie and where the characters go, it, that's why if there is a movie that like warrants a multiple viewing, heaven forbid. Okay. Well, uh, I still don't know where the characters go. There's a trial and someone dies, but I don't know what happens. But okay, this is about this is where I finally had to stop watching and come here to to start watching. Got so. it. Okay, so. When Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart was talking to the plastic horse, I was like, yeah, I think I, I'm going to move on. <laughs> that was in Blade Runner originally. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> He dreamed of a plastic horse. He dreamed of a plastic horse. Also uh, Avatar. <laughs> I dreamed Jimmy Stewart's I dream of plastic horses. That's, just imagine that being the opening line in Avatar. I dreamed of plastic horses. I just think Kim Novak is, is just a badass when it comes to just, I think she does a lot with a little. And there's, there's moments where some of their conversations when they get really like in the Redwoods, when he gets her to admit she was trying to kill herself that shit's like powerful and disturbing and like it it feels very real like it feels like you could see people having that sort of conversation that you know what's so weird is apparently she was she's like 25 here yeah yeah and, he and she 50. looks older than jimmy stewart that's that's there's something about there's something about this whole like over made up over hairstyle thing that just makes women look un, elderly un, unfiltered lucky strikes being the cig- yeah. cigarette of the day just, also just, wow not, not for nothing but it went she through my mind several times watching this that jimmy stewart is kind of a dead ringer for John Boehner. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you for ruining Jimmy's story. It happens a few times. He's a little orange. He's a little orange. Uh, just look at him. I always, I always, and actually, my wife and I talked about this when we were watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life, every, like we do every Christmas. Uh, Jimmy Stewart doesn't really know how to sex. Like, he doesn't know, yeah, no. he doesn't yeah. know how to Jimmy make Jimmy Stewart out. kissing is He's one like, of the creepiest things. You know, well, I, just, I just put my cheek on your neck here. Is I'll that just, what I do? Is that what I'll, I'll, I'll withdraw I'm my on. mouth just a quarter of an inch <laughs> and say my next line of dialogue right next to your mouth like you're a microphone. My wife said, like, kissing occurs when faces Guy. He's such a great guy, but sex with him must be such a chore. Like it just, cool. be, just be such a. Just That's a, a Dana Carvey bit. Yeah, if he hasn't already done, he should do. Dana Carvey's awesome. I always thought that Dana Carvey and Martin Short were the two abject funniest people that were ever on SNL. Yeah. Just as guys, I think those two guys were the funniest people that were ever there. Like, they're just both hilarious. And they you mean not nice. Robert Downey Jr.? Come on, man. He's funny. No, <laughs> yeah. but just like when you ever see, like even now when you see Dana or Martin on like a, a talk show, yeah, they both seem like they really just... kind, but also like their whole personality is they're the guy who makes everyone feel better. Like they're they're funny, happy. The Dana- like, like Robert Williams' character in Good Morning Vietnam, not Robert Williams, right. but just really pleasant and like they just want to make everyone laugh. Oh, she's going to die now. Yeah. The, yep. yeah, the Dana Carvey show. going to be Vertigo. The Dana Carvey Hooray! show. Famously gave its start to both Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. Uh, and if you ever can, like some of their sketches are legit funny on that show. That was oh, a, uh, the the early the early the Dana Carvey show. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, oh, okay. His own. Uh, it ran for a single season on ABC. It was a sketch comedy show, ninety-seven. I want to say. Okay, so this this is funny because literally, like I said, I I turned the turned the video off right here, eight seconds before, before this things scene started happening. Began. Yeah, it's so like oh okay. I I I fully stand by the fact that everything we've seen up until this point is is necessary prologue and necessary. Uh, you know, we we need it for tone. Uh, that's a weird. It's not. There's a, tr- a whole turn tray. That's not a, right before it's about to get louder. <laughs> that's again. not a trombone yeah. shot. Is it? it's not just a trombone shot. It's like it's there's the, something else. It's the opposite it. of a trombone. Yeah. Shot. It's a miniature, by the way. It's it's, it's a miniature. So it's Leto. Yeah. So it's very it's very it's, it's, it's very clean and perfect because it's done as a miniature. So it's very controlled. And you can't a miniature sideways. We don't we don't have the yeah. sound on it, but that thud is sickening. It is. Ju- it's oh god. It's just. It's not too much. It's not a car crash. It's just this. <laughs> it's just this. Sounds like oh my god, nuns! Yeah. <laughs> Here come nuns! Run! run. The nuns! I don't know are how they found you. me. They're going to merge and form. They're going to they're going to merge and form nuns or yeah. Um, <laughs> Marty the nuns. <laughs> I'll form the habit. Um, yeah, the, but and the the, uh, the trombone charger's there. It's a set of that right there. Right. Uh, but it's sideways, so it's basically the camera's moving forward through that. Well, in this case, it would be moving backward and zooming moving in. backward and zooming in. Yeah. Yeah. But little miniature that with the uh, trombone going sideways on it, which is cool. Just because it's easier than doing it vertically. And this uh, this whole tower is also fake. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they could have they they ta- tapped that. Oh, if yeah. this was a digital restoration, there wouldn't be those blues in the shadows. They would have sucked those out manually, which I recommend for a good time. Mm. <laughs> suck out the blue out? <laughs> suck out the blue manually. Yeah, the, manually. the mission itself is <laughs> Digital real. domain, sucking the blue out for over sucking 30 years. <laughs> Manual digital, we'll suck it out no matter what. The mission itself is real, but the tower was yeah. added in. Eddie, do you know what the significance is of using this exact same camera move to vo- for both establishing shots? Uh, I, I can only... Can if it was like bookending the movie, then I'd be like, oh, we're reminding the audience that this is the same place. But yeah. we literally just ended the scene ago. that started like that way. Yeah. I, I I only have conjecture, and that's what's good about this, is that you can sort of speculate and kind of fill... You know, you can fill your own answer without having to go all room 237 on it. What's your best uh, guess? I just... I feel like in the nature of discovering, uh, and which is what private investigating is, it's just like you... You he just you look over and there it is. It's already happening. It's in progress. It's, it's is it just, possible he just had one establishing shot of that place? Could be. Well, it could be something as simple. Well, as but that. it's a different background. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. People, I think it's. I think it's. He, he he figured he would open one or the other sequence with this cool shot of columns, and they ended up using using it both. It's both probably times. that. Like, because yeah. usually nine times out of ten, this the is answer, a good way to start an establishing shot. Is the to answer, start over yeah. here and pan over, and then they just ended up using both versions. We've all been doing what we've been, we've been doing long enough to know that nine times out of ten, any like, well, what was the choice behind this? It's like the choices we had no other choice. So right? is this a, you know, the choice? Is, is that's what we had. The choice was, the was choice is I forgot to do a yeah, different, exactly. different establishing shot. So both what of the my fuck is going on here? Same. Because this is not a courtroom. This is not even like a real <laughs> trial, and it's happening at the play. Like, is this just like the board of directors talking about whether or not we're going to tell the cops? Like, I, what this, is going on? This is how Hitchcock thinks the justice system works. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Also, the judge is kind of an ass. Actually, as, as if you, if you actually look through his uh, filmography, I think there's maybe one other instance total of courtroom. In the there's chat, Zarban says it's just an inquest. Oh, an inquest. Okay, with a dick for an inquester. This guy, yeah, I've always like this actor. I'm a bureaucratic tweeb. But would they still have an inquest at the 
scene of the crime. I mean, yeah. well, the body is, uh, <laughs> yeah, guys, right. the body is crapping itself yeah, right now. In the background, in the background, they should be wheeling the body out. <laughs> I, I know it's a guy with a hose. A little sudden for an inquest, but this was so important that I wanted. Thanks well, for we coming were in out. the neighborhood. So yeah, we thanks for coming well. out to the winery on such short notice, but uh, we will have a little tasting afterwards, so it'll be worth <laughs> your drive. There's one specific anecdote I'm, I'm looking for in this book, so you're going to hear pages rustling periodically. Wrestling? Wrestling. Um, wrestling some pages. Wrestling some pages. Oh, you, I just love how I much can, of a dick the judge is. pages wrestling. The judge is just like, now he you know, he claims this, and we can't say that he's an idiot. He's just kind of a piece of shit. Moving on. This, and he's kind of a, yeah, yeah, I wish he had done better, and I think we all wish he had done better, but he really didn't. He's kind of a piece of shit. Moving on. And just like, that's the judge the whole <laughs> Not time. Not I'm yeah. implying anything. It, it, it's, it's like, you know. Like, well, I'm just well, asking the question, man. We, we, we can't prove that Mr. Stewart here is a pedophile, and all character witnesses point to the fact that he's not a pedophile. He does seem to look like one, though, doesn't he? But he really kind of looks like a pedophile. The part that uh, we're having a hard time understanding is once you found her dead body on the roof, why did you undress her? Yeah. (laughs) Is that just a thing you do? Well, the last time I did that, she woke up. She woke up, and it was all right, and she fell in love with me and had coffee. I honestly think Jimmy Stewart should be the benchmark everyone can do it voice impression and not Schwarzenegger, (laughs) because I think everyone can basically fall off of Jimmy Stewart. Not a great one, maybe, but you can totally do it. You you can recognize it's Jimmy Stewart. It may be the worst Jimmy Stewart ever, but you can tell it's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to explain oh. what's going on. The trick I learned is if you if you if you can't get it quite there, do what Dana Carvey does. Like have you like your brow furrowed like you're worried about it, like you're thinking, oh no, what what is this? And then do the voice. Oh well why why, why would that happen? Just, and then you just get it. I love it. Look at this piece of shit. Uh, a big bad inquester. A big part of like um a lot of Hitchcock's exploration with like is 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 male heroes are about the idea of the wrong man uh north by northwest is very much like that strangers on a train no no strangers is not like that but there's a lot of um there's a lot of movies where it's like oh it's the wrong man you've got notorious you've got the wrong man uh and this movie kind of it's not that he's not wronged but he because he's actually he's acquitted of everything he's acquitted of, of his you know he's it's not his fault his partner died, but he blames himself for it. It's not his fault she died, but he blames himself for it. So it's like he's persecuting himself kind of like throughout this entire movie. Until he stops. Until he stops. <laughs> well, no, until he gets a second chance of what he, fe- he get what he feels like he gets a second chance. Well, what I mean is when he's doing the whole dress her up like a doll thing, yeah. the consistency of that sort of constitution, I guess, would be to stop himself from doing that. But he, in his own mind, he's making it right. Like he's yeah. almost erasing it yeah. because he's, he's, he's and bear in mind, he does spend himself. a year yeah. in a mental hospital. Yeah. That's it does yeah. kind of gloss over that. that. He's in, he's in a sanitarium for a year like that. You know, that that's clearly he's not in the proper. He's not. Well, you know, I mean, mindset. they had to, they had to be choosy in their edit because there's just so much driving to see that. <laughs> There just wasn't any time left for the year in the yeah, mental hospital. The, to be fair, that this, movie was a montage. This movie is based off of a French book, and I do remember seeing like that. That in the book, they actually also gloss over that as well. D'entre le mort, I think, or something uh, like that. Yeah, d'entre le mort, the entrance of the dead, or something. Don't tray the more. What? Don't tray the more. Uh, it it oh, translates I, to yeah, from a year later. Don't tray, tray don't the more. more. It translates okay. to from amongst the dead. Mm. Which totally brings the whole concept or together. Or in English, tray stop. Yeah. Don't tray no more. <laughs> so what's going on with this color stuff? What are we what are we trying to indicate here? Well, he's made his way to the monolith. 
and it, mm. at, around Jupiter, and it's Ligeti and all that. It's uh, yeah, it's now transporting him across. Violet, the you're turning violet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and Willy Wonka would have been amazing. Uh, oh, just, uh, Jimmy oh, Stewart oh as God, Willy Wonka. What the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what in the hell is going on? World of your imagination. <laughs> what? That's is horrifying happening? right there. That's this. This and is then Agnes Moorhead is here all of a sudden. Yep. Is that Agnes Moorhead? Yeah. That is Agnes Moorhead. That's Agnes Moorhead, yeah. What the fuck? It's like suddenly we fell into a different movie. Did the Blu-ray skip something? <laughs> now, was yeah. this chemical or lighting? It was just Fellini showed up I think for it's a day. lighting. I can't. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Cool. Ooh. RP turns on. Can it be... Actually, well, no. It's got to be chemical. Yeah. It's well, chemical. No, it's, it's, it's... So we're just, this is just signifying nightmare, so, nightmare, yeah. nightmare, nightmare, right? Is that the idea here? Yes. It's it's nightmare. Oh my god. <laughs> the idea is that it's it's like it's insane. like medicine drug induced nightmare. Yeah. Is that it's It pretty much is. Yeah. It's like this is his He's reloading into North by Northwest. And now he's in a Bond opening title theme. Yeah. There's in Mad Men. Wow. Man, so Microbus that was an idea for a design they just never gave up on. Wow. They tried that was the fetch Volkswagen tried to make happen for like 40 years. And well, they made it happen. They just stopped making them like like a, yeah. a week ago they stopped making those. Were they making new ones? They were making them yeah. in Mexico, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay then. That proves my point. Except for people wanted them. Actually, I was kind of thought were, they looked cool. They I retracted great. my whole thing. They, they, they I was just was, was it you like and a I? sewing machine, but Wasn't it you and I Trey that were just talking about yeah. microbuses and if yeah. I lived in the 70s, I totally would have They're had a totally, microbus. They were awesome. They had like five moving parts in that engine. They are fantastic, just like bugs. It was basically, it was, a, it was a van with pedals. Yeah. There was literally, literally the, uh, the, one of the tricks, if you were a real <laughs> hardcore, um, you know, adventurer in your, in your uh, microbus is often you could go up a hill backwards because the drivetrain, the gearing would handle yeah. extreme, <laughs> extreme grades in reverse better than you could go forward. Interesting. So you would go backward up a really steep hill. And what's, what's really dangerous for people on the road is you can't actually tell from the outside which, which way, is the forward, yeah, which is which the way it's going. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a pill. Now that you're crazy, will you love me? She's dead and you're crazy. I'm your girl. <laughs> love me. <laughs> I'll paint more pictures of myself. I'll nice... paint pictures of me getting stripped by you if you like. <laughs> what if I pretended I'm unconscious? I love you like that. This is a nice sanitarium, the, though. The big thing, um, the big thing about his <laughs> Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the nicest sanitariums. They have awesome record but players, gonna, but it's gonna have that one one star review. Yeah, that's like, right. I went to this sanitarium and the meatball sandwich. This, was the worst this I sanitarium ever had. had the worst record player. And then there's one that's obviously written by an employee where it's like, yeah. I never had a problem with the amazing staff, especially the Especially handsome. Bill Johnson. <laughs> like every other word's an adverb. Yeah. yeah. Who is so totally kind to me and my family. He really went out of his way to make a difference. I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back as often as I can. I hope I die here. <laughs> uh, I would love to grow sick and old here. And that's why I think most reviews should be done by elderly people who are 10 days from death like just they just don't <laughs> fucking care anymore they've got no ass to, no, like, to lose no axe to grind you'll occasionally get the one that's like doesn't matter it's all bullshit anyway yeah but <laughs> most of the time you'll just get like just legit honest i found that the 
peach cobbler was a little too sweet. <laughs> no one's ever had the balls to say that before. Acute melancholia. Together with a guilt complex. I saw melancholia. Cute was the, the last the, word. This is the, I mean, thank God for doctors because doctor, in my opinion, doctors are the best delivery of, as you know, and as <laughs> wow. of information. Yeah. They are, they are, they're an, as you know, delivery system. Exactly. Oh, dude, the, the, doc, the doctor at the end of Psycho is just like, all right, yep. let's let oh, him explain the, the movie for like three oh, minutes. Yep. The, you know, uh, uh, Goldman's speech about that scene is fantastic. What is it? Well, I, I remember, but I don't remember. He exactly just goes off. I was like, it's like, what the fuck is that scene about? It's 10 minutes long of exposition of a guy talking. It's like explaining it's, like the whole mom. Thing it's just, and- it just goes. It's like it's the worst scene. It's it's the worst ending to a movie ever. So hallway, hallway. Not Mad Men stuck in my head. Sorry. She's going to go down the hallway. She's going to go down the hallway. Fade She's turning back up, the hallway. Fade out. And then it faded up. Fade up. Fade I, I'm up. Fully, I'm fully like, I, I think there's a big difference. San Francisco. Yeah, that's a noisier shot. The streets of San Francisco. That must be the opening a, shot of the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, but the, a Quinn Martin much. production. The noise is grainier. <laughs> 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 Starring Carl Molden. <laughs> and. You just expect. And there's markets. There's lots of San Francisco there in that shot. You could be like San Francisco, San Francisco, Market Street, like just bifurcating the entire city there. One way, not anymore. Oh, there's still a ton of One way. I love her car. And a green car. And a lamppost. And a lady walking by you and her shrubs and lots of windows. So we guys, like now. So hang on, hang on, hang on. What? We really just cut from him at the sanitarium in, in the depths of Nutsville <laughs> in the sanitarium right. to him finding the car again yeah. and realizing, oh, okay, something's up and yeah. now picking up the trail you, to pursue. You saw the fade out. Yeah. Yeah, it just. <laughs> That's- like I, that just didn't really fully hit me until watching it just now. Well, it was a very long. It faded out, and then it stayed black for like eight seconds. Like it was a very long. And then we in had the theater, the you'd be like, "This is awkward. What's going on?" Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. crazy and in a sanitarium. The end. Let's get our. Co- oh, there's it? more. Well, that's the thing. It's like so. There's not even a scene of him like, "Okay, well, I'm finally yeah, there's ready no to parole put- scene." Yeah, you've learned your lesson. I hope you have. Well, that's also stamp. Well, no, it's but like that's the Gryffindor that, common room. That's the this. thing. Yeah. It's it's uh, and it, you know you, you can check yourself out of it. You can check yourself out. Like you're not. He wasn't. He wasn't like committed. You know, what I mean, he was just. He was just bummed and that and so he was there for catatonically long, like, bummed yeah mm-hmm. and then he and then he got out like that's just this barman i've never gotten service as good dude's just waiting <laughs> just what can i get you aren't you jimmy stewart <laughs> uh i will say this is a quick aside Tell me that's not john boehner come on uh if you, you can watch on netflix but uh mind of a chef produced by anthony bourdain starring david chang there's an episode where they go to japan and there is a bartender at this one japanese bar that is like you are a god. He's just in this <laughs> dapper suit. He undoes his cufflinks. He like shakes things. He like to to mix just random things. It, no, he's like, he like sh- dogs. He shakes he sh- <laughs> babies. He shakes the drink. He grabs. He my shakes kid. the drink like a really. <laughs> Don't shake my baby. <laughs> you Sorry, go on. He shakes the drink in a really specific way. He has like a medicine dropper that he drops like on a napkin and then just leaves it above the drink for a while and then airs it out like he's just so chemically precise. <laughs> so, so he's insane. It's but it's- he has these perfect cute like spherical ice cubes that he or ice spheres that he just you know that he mixes the drink with it's like i want to drink whatever he makes it looks fantastic is that the show that anthony bourdain was interviewing elton brown on no he doesn't he just does narration it's all about david chang because there is this thing i saw a clip on the internet i don't even know what the show was 
but it was I think it was Bourdain and Elton Brown. And they were like at like some restaurant in Georgia and El- El- Elton's talking about this and I like this and I like this and it's a cool restaurant. This Do you mean thing. Alton Brown? Is that what you're actually saying? Uh, his name is pronounced Elton. I had to go and find that out. But really? he pronounces it Elton. It's like the name Al with ton. He says Elton. So I was saying I said Elton oh, for years. See, I was just hearing Elton right now oh, like, as yeah. an Elton John. No. But, okay. Yeah. Elton Brown. Uh, but and then after that, he gets like they have like some bourbon at the dinner. Which right off the bat, I'm like, oh, cool. Elton's getting drunk. Let's watch this. And they end up, my hand to God, at a strip club. Okay. There's a, it's Elton Brown at a strip club in a bow tie, sir. It's like Bill Nye, the science <laughs> guy, getting a hooker or something. Um, <laughs> like there's a long scene there. They're talking to the strippers. No one? That was amazing. Yeah. It's like Bill Nye at a strip club. <laughs> and he just said that. He just said Bill Nye. It's like the time I went to a strip club with uh, Joel Hodgson and Paul Feig in San Francisco. <laughs> is it? Is it like that time? It's very much like that I cannot. Time. I, I, That's I a can, good story. Here's the thing, I can imagine Joel Hodgson. I can't imagine Paul Feig at a strip club. Oh, it should be. You, you, your imagination should be wired the other way around. Paul Feig is a nut bar. Ah, in the chat room, Trevor's like, because Vertigo can be good eats. Right. That dream sequence was like the good eats uh, <laughs> opening credits. There's chocolate and yes, salt. Chocolate and sea salt. And salt. Salt. He comes did a lot of I know, slice of pizza I know, rotates past you. I know nice. Hitchcock. Hitchcock nice did job. a lot of similar sort of visual, you know, kind of psychedelia in a way. He did a lot of that in Frenzy as well. Yeah, I mean, that was he would do those sequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Frenzy and and what's trying to freak you out, man? What was the one? Uh, Notorious or whatever. There's, well, there's the one. Notorious is pure. No, there was the one with the famous Salvador Dali dream sequence. Yes. That, uh, I can't remember which one that uh, was. Let me check my black companion. and white, but I can't remember which one it is. But it was like, oh, we got Salvador Dali to design the dream sequence. And it's sure enough, it's a Salvador Dali dream sequence. Something interesting about Hitchcock is I could make up a thing and say that he directed it. And only like 12, maybe 14 people on earth could correct me and be like, that did not happen. He didn't do that. Yeah. I could be like, you know, he directed the Bellwether Scotsman. It's like, oh, I haven't seen that. I'm like, I'm no, like, he did. He like, did do the Bellwether Scotsman. Yeah, he did. You're right. It was, it was silence. It was a th- one of those silent ones that you don't see yeah. that often. But yeah, he totally yeah. directed that. I saw that. And, and, and like 14 guys would be like, no, he did not. I don't know the name. Everyone of else every, in the world would be like, yeah, that sounds plausible. I, I, well, I, saying, I don't know the name of every Hitchcock film, but I'm pretty sure of what he didn't direct. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but there's a lot of silent movies. Lost yeah. to time, Eddie. But, no, but they, okay, there are a couple on here that I'm so unfamiliar with that. Uh, okay. Give me a title that like never would have remembered that title. Waltz is from Vienna. Boom. <laughs> Shut, bu- bu- now, boom. now, if I said the, if I said the man who knew too much, you'd be like, yeah, yeah. okay. But if I said um, the farmer's wife. God. Yep, nothing that, there. That sounds like a thrilling movie. <laughs> How about this? <laughs> Juno and the Paycock. Mm. Perfect. That's the perfect punchline. How about this? Else, okay, well, here, Blackmail. That sounds That's racist. That sounds, yeah, that sounds like the right title. How about this? Elstree Calling. Ooh. Yeah, see? The Bellwether Scotsman. This, Which yeah. one does not belong? Ooh. This 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 title I actually did know uh, because this has been like this has been a kind of a, an inside joke with me and a couple of friends for a while. But 1930, he directed a movie Simply titled, with an exclamation mark at the end, mind you, Murder! Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Murder! Supposedly, Jamaica Inn is his worst movie. I think that was... Uh, um, I, Jamaica, yeah, Jamaica Inn 39, actually. Yeah. Um, that was that was when he was still over in England. He didn't when he, yeah. he came to he famously came to America to make movies in 1940. Uh, Rebecca was the first one. Yeah, but um, 
And then, yeah, and then Foreign Correspondent after that. And then uh, that was when he got, like, abjectly noir. was, like, around that time. Uh, wow, so. Kim Novak looks so much more like a human now. Yeah. Well, that's... Oh, really? I think she looks way weirder now than she does. She looks weirder, time. but just notice how different her performance is here. Like, just notice how, like, it's... for. I remember watching this. I actually was convinced. I'm like, did they... I, my, cause, and my dad did not tell me anything about the movie. I actually thought, like, did they get it... Like I didn't know it was still Kim Novak. It took me a minute to like realize it was still Kim Novak doing mm. that. So, I mean that's a that's that's a odd little hairstyle she's got going on, but I I do like the outfit. Novak got back. <laughs> oh God. So I I think I really notice a huge difference in that. That's kind of like why why I always kind of go bat for this film is that it really is in a lot of ways. You could make the pitch that it's almost like two movies, but the the, the visible line of the, just it's bifurcated down the middle, and where tone and everything just sort of like devolves into kind of like what we're seeing. Jimmy Stewart from this from you know the once he gets out of the sanitarium, everything about him performance wise, even just like physical takes, everything just starts changing, and it's it's if you're not used to it, it's very shocking. Like it's almost like if you really pay attention to his his performance, you just get creeped out by him every time he's on screen from this point on. Like you're rooting for him when he's first falling for her. And now you're, you, you almost like get this weird sense of you want to keep them away from each other just because for him, you don't want, you don't want him to like, you know, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to figure this all out and everything's going to be fine. That's not going to happen. But even so, even after I realized it was Kim Novak, I'm like, okay, well, it's they cast her because they want to just make it seem like these two characters look so much alike. Like that's how that's what I legitimately thought for oh, for most. Yeah, yeah, I mean that was that would yeah. said at this point I would be thinking that too if you know the if uh, Wikipedia hadn't spoiled the movie for me um, <laughs> is I would think okay so now it's going to be like a total psychological twisty thing because there's this chick who looks kind of like the other one. Played by the same actress because that's how you do it. Probably by probably kind of like um, uh, something like there will be blood, like the the the, yeah. the dueling Danos. I I really have trouble. I'm really distracted by her eyebrows. I'm gonna yeah, those are some those There's some categories. I get you. The, more distracting than those, I I don't know what it is about ladies' bras back that day, but it's like <laughs> it's like the bras were just like going out of their way to well, rumor make breasts not shaped like human breasts. Oh, the torpedo! Look. Yeah, just rumor has it that silly. in that outfit she's not actually wearing one. That's Ooh. so she's a robot. So like. <laughs> Wow, that is a messed up plan. Now this, I remember this said, uh, I think it was in Wikipedia, where this is a reveal that normally you would put at the end of the movie. No, they're But content. Hitchcock wanted this yeah. to go here. Yeah. Yeah, they're content to just be like, no, you're in for the ride now. Because because you want to watch the audience sort of twist with it. You know what and, I mean? And, like, I, and I agree with that, actually. Cause yeah, I do too. It, it adds the tension, I think, a necessary amount of tension. Because otherwise, like you would, you would think, oh, they're just two women that look a lot alike, and, <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart's just being a little wacko. Exactly, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the the real tension of right. the, of the scene of the story. And more than that, you would, you get a sense of, you you get a sense, you like it gives Kim Novak something to be as an actual character as opposed to just a cipher. Like now that you know that, 
you are now examining her like okay what are her mo- you know like what's her reasoning right. what is it, she feeling why is she genuinely in love you're or, kind of you're inve- yeah. it makes you invested with her now because you you again all no dialogue here but you're getting a sense of she's obviously conflicted by this you know oh is this she so she writes the letter out right yes. and so she goes on with the letter you know she's got a whole little monologue that is played over but then when you when she like decides to rip it up at the end and she holds it up, you can see there's only like one sentence on it. There's only two <laughs> lines. To the she puts a lot she of just wrote, I do not speak English. <laughs> How long do I have to pretend to write? And the sentence Please is just help. a bunch of, the sentence is just a bunch of X's. Please help. I have not eaten three weeks. Yes. I'll work and Hitch keeps me in Hitch, a small box. Hitchcock is a scary man. Every time I fall asleep, he tries to undress me and says that's normal. I will not tell <laughs> lies about... Okay. But the real one we have to watch out for is Alma. She is the most <laughs> twisted woman I've ever met in my life. She, she must be stopped. Well, diary, it's been a crazy day. Sorry, Hitchcock. Uh, and yeah, again, this... Uh, yeah, I will say this script-wise... It's, Look it's, at those things. It's just no. It's it's uh, second eyes. They're gills. It's, it's wow. Damn it, T. It's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of info dump, and it's a lot of like kind of clunky exposition. But yeah, and, and apparently the scene was in and out too. They they there was there was a version where they cut yeah. it completely out. Yeah. Again, this is you know just. Wow, God, those things are quite... (laughs) (laughs) They're distracting, right? (laughs) Jesus. My father. Just a whole lot of like I know. I was like, what did I got these brows? But that's not, that's not, that was, I wasn't thinking. Look, there's two (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the Joker, but I was thinking Nicholson Joker is what I'm looking at when I see that. Where does he get those wonderful toys? There's an odd, like, look on her face as she does that, too. It's like, she almost enjoys the game too much. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's an odd, it's just like... Nope. Now, keep riding this wave. I think the premise for her behavior from here on out, I know that it is she loves him, so she won't tell him what's going on, which seems, I, I have questions about it. My guess is because she knows that if she told him, he would hate her, question mark? He wouldn't see her again, and then she'd be sad because she loves him and she likes being she around him. She wants being around him, yeah. So if she told him that, oh, by the way, you didn't actually kill me. Like hi. The, the way she's clutching that well, dress. Yeah, that's, I think there's other people who would be upset if she were to go, oh, that, by the way, that whole thing yeah. that we did was not real. <laughs> but now she gets a lovely dinner out of it. She gets to just be with the guy she's into. You yeah. know what I mean? She obviously but how could she do that knowing how bad it is for him? That's, okay. what I'm getting, that's where I'm getting in. This, uh, and this is where it starts getting fucked up. That's again, what I'm talking about. Because, uh, you know, and again. She can't just tell him the truth. Well, not just well, that. I know, but she... She could have told him to fuck off. This is the this <laughs> is the yeah. this is the dark side of love because it's yeah. like you love that person, but you are caught in the forward momentum of being in love with somebody, knowing that okay, I'm gonna we're gonna hit a wall at seventy miles an hour, but I'm really enjoying the ride <laughs> on the I way there, and I can't I can't stop the train just yet. You yeah, know I, what I mean? I, like I know, but it's like she can see that this is clearly torturing him. Like this yes. is this is this is awful, <laughs> and yet she's doing it. No, I'm I'm just saying I'm, I'm elaborating on how That's it's just like amore. it's <laughs> That's, I know. Chicks no, be I know. crazy, man. That's actually literally what uh, in this chat room Spork said, Teague bitches be crazy. No, that's well, it's just, yeah. it's, but he's just as guilty and that's so, what's beautiful about so it. She, like, she lived a whole lie where she pretended she was seeing past lives and tried to kill herself twice and now she's acting kind of funny. Now no, no, no. I'm not, all weird. I'm, not call, I'm not saying any of this is implausible. I'm saying it yeah. absolutely is and it's just horrifying. Yeah, it's just ugly. 
That's, yeah. I remember that's, reading, I was, that's when I was like, Vertigo is fucked up. You guys. I, yeah. I, th- I think actually, I can't remember if it was in this book or not, but like, I remember reading something about Vertigo once where they said like, well, the plot is, is impos- implausible because of the way the characters behave. And I'm like, the way the characters behave is the most plausible thing about it. Like some of the murder plot stuff and using, you know, uh, her faking her death to cover up the murder of somebody else. Not related to any of this that's less plausible than the way these people are behaving to me because maybe i don't know maybe i don't know maybe i had really awful luck with the ladies before i i found a wife but like this sort of like mutually assured destruction that comes about when two people start falling in love is a natural plausible yeah evolution that exactly or not natural organic yeah the to me it's like no she she almost like defiantly tears up that letter and then she just clutches that dress because the idea of just like the courtship that's about to follow is all they got. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like, and it's, it's kind of hurting her because like, Oh, it's fucking both of them up. Well, no, it's hurting her because it's like, she wants him to fall in love with the her that she's created. You know what I mean? And like, that's what's killing her. It's like the, it's like the Clark Kent Superman thing. It's like the love triangle between Clark Kent Superman and Lois Lane. It's like, well, I think, I think well, of Judy I mean, is being real her. Yeah. And he's in love with Madeline. Right. Right. But the problem is, is like, she wants him to love her as she knows her, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, she, it's, it's, he doesn't love her. Yeah. He loves the role she was playing. But he's still loving her, so it's completely, it's full. It's close, but her, it's, I, it's uncanny valley of feeling her, okay I, about yeah, this. Her identity is just folding in on itself like an Escher painting. Like, it's just like, it's just, it, it's, that's what's so toxic about this whole situation. Toxic is the exact right word. Okay. Good job. I did it. I like that word. <laughs> Shut it so, down. What's crazy is, when you think <laughs> yeah. about it, I, you know, I hesitate to say the word watertight, but it's a really good plot on behalf of Batman Science because <laughs> we'll play it we're see, really you on, see, see you on the quote page. Um, <laughs> well, for Vertigo, I loved Batman Science, I, best I, realized I, character. I hesitate in to say years. I hesitate I was, to say watertight, but it is a very good plot on behalf of Batman Science. I was here from I was here when that happened, and I still don't know why he's called Batman Science because he wants to kill his wife, which happens, sure, and he knows that he would be a likely suspect if no one had seen her acting suicide So he hires a guy who he knows can't check up on it when he gets to the end game to watch her and go, God, she was really fucking suicide Bitch was crazy. That's nuts. And then when he kills her with this clever switcheroo, which I guess the only like, the only maybe thing that wouldn't work is if you couldn't find someone who looks enough like your wife, but... He doesn't have to look that much like your wife because you're only seeing her a couple times, usually from far away, usually face down on a mission. Yeah. And um, be flattened. So he basically comes up with a, a, a fairly useful sort of scenario where there's alibis hanging everywhere. And he gets away scot free. There's so it's many scotty it's good, free. It's there, a good plan on his part. There's yeah. so many subtle Go little things, and that's just the way she looks at him, and the way he looks at her here. The way he's just like looking past her, like yeah. he's just going through the motion of doing the romantic thing for the girl he air quote loves. And that gives it what, what it's cool because Novak talked about that a bit on the uh, EPK thing, and she was like, one of the reasons I love this character and love playing this character and love this movie is she me has three or four things to do in every scene depending on which version of her she is up front with and which version of her she is withholding at any given moment right and that basically just yields i don't know if it would be detrimental to a movie to just say do this uncritically all the time but basically what ends up happening is the performance (laughs) so heartbreaking the performance looks really real it looks very like there's more to this person than what we're seeing which is a, a a thing that you encounter in real life a lot more often than in movies, unfortunately. The subtext 
that they're basically giving her by her literally having a bunch of shit going on in her brain all the time comes across as a good performance throughout you could just tell actors to do that all the time pretend like there's a big secret that you're not going to tell anyone in this scene but you might next scene but then it's not even a part of the movie it's not there's not a secret in the movie but just act it that that's way that's what meryl streep always says she says that every character she plays has a secret that's not in the script or part of the movie yeah. but me and streep yo yeah <laughs> mr white that's right <laughs> acting, I'm so, acting I'm, so, I'm so excited that that was that was like corroborated by someone yeah. especially meryl streep that's meryl streep that's how meryl streep she claims she rounds out a character is that she approaches every scene like, okay, I'm doing the scene, but boy, I hope no one finds out my terrible secret, which is, and yeah. no one in the movie God, even knows what that is. I'm just the, so the, glad that Meryl Streep played into my point, and she was yeah. great in it. Yeah. The, bi- the big line the big line in this that just kills me is every time, he, and he says it multiple times, it's like, it can't mean that much to you when he's trying to get her to do <laughs> yeah. something. Which is so creepy. What a manipulative fucking roundabout way. It's like, it has so little of you and means so much to me, but like... It's such a fucking <laughs> fucked up thing. In the chat, Zarbans, like most of Streep's secrets are, I'm too old for this role now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. I'm not attracted to this guy at all. And Zarban's secret is, I love Meryl Streep. That's right. So much. No, he loves John Pavlich. Road trip's coming out soon, everybody. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh, some of this is going to happen in my living room. Wait, what? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, oh, geez. And he really. Okay. By the way. Garter linings still hot after all these years. Um, no, I just it just oh man, <laughs> wow, she's not happy. <laughs> just look at look at the opening yeah, frame. He's pouring her a drink as she's yeah. sobbing. Drink this, like, just drink this right up now. I'm oh, doing this, and the sad thing is, it doesn't leave with it doesn't end with her like walking out on him. It she's still that's it's so complicit and like <laughs> it's the cycle of self mutual destruction. He's so, oh, so, so rich good. though, he's got money. I think Let's stay with him. Just this this scenario, it takes a while for it to get set up. They're playing kind of a high wire act so that everything once you come into this dynamic, everything seems like it makes sense to be here now. Yeah, uh, possibly at the expense of the feeling of pacing for some viewers. But when you get here and you've established all those things so well that you come into it with all the right trajectories, this whole dynamic that plays out for the next like 20 or 30 minutes is just awful. It's just fucked up. There's very few movies that are able to accomplish sort of emotionally what this does. It's this complex is, as hell. Yeah. this and I feel like we spend so much time with Jimmy Stewart to really hammer home the point that this is our hero, like doing these things like, ah. Oh. I can't believe her eyebrows aren't running. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, they moved. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of them just falls off. <laughs> oh, shit. They go over down. There should be like a, a mechanical sound, like a typewriter carriage return. Ka-ching. Are there like animated like event dummies eyebrows where there's just a yeah. hinge right yeah. over the nose and the, the outside just go up and up? All right. Well, since we're all determined to make fun of her eyebrows. You um, will be. There is, <laughs> there is a... Uh, there is a Fuck you. See, again... <laughs> Judy, please, it can't matter to you. Like, he's not asking that. He's not actually asking her a question. He's saying it. he's commanding her. It cannot yeah. matter to you. Yeah. Like, he's forbidding it to matter. Right. He He's so wrapped up in his shit that the only possible amount of consideration he can give to the situation at all, the only shred he can give is to justify himself. You know what movie I just realized this actually shares a lot of sort of like emotional and tonal real estate with <laughs> is uh, Behind the Candelabra. 
Okay, yes. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. if you really think about Think it, like, that. there's a lot of, there, it covers some of the similar ground. It's just, because whereas Liberace's obsession was just his youth, and so his rotating door of lovers that he would just literally carve into their flesh so that they resembled him, it was all about, it was all about taking care of and protecting his younger self. You know what I mean? Whereas this, it's, for him, he's obsessed with her and he loves her, but he feels as a man, he failed to protect the woman that he was falling in love with. And if he makes her that, he has therefore protected her retroactively. You know something this movie doesn't do as well as it might? Fighting. Yeah, chase the fight scenes. scenes in this are usually yeah, pretty bad. The, yeah. the car chase yeah. scenes, I think, would be a lot faster. Right. The dance number, <laughs> where he's just like throwing up his hands in San Francisco traffic. God yeah. damn it! Twenty yeah. fourth oh, again. But no, I don't. I didn't. I, it's weird. I didn't notice what was happening. But I don't think I've ever bought him falling in love with her. Yeah, I don't think they have. They don't set up why he's falling in love with her or that he really is. It for the most part, it looks like an old, slightly creepy because he's like literally twice her age dude dealing with a really really pretty girl that he's investigating yeah but you never get the we've all all, well here's the thing that we've all had you know i think we've all had the thing where it's like we start to date somebody we're really into them and then it gets cut off and taken away from us before we get a chance to see it develop i've had that happen a couple times well yeah but just in terms of like even film grammar it i was surprised when they started kissing like what wait whoa Oh, okay. I, I, I think it. I agree with you, and I think it's more a fact that as much as I love Jimmy Stewart as an actor, and I think he's a great actor, and I understand what Hitchcock was trying to do and wanted to do with exploring a darker side, but with Jimmy Stewart in the role to kind of try to do a new thing. Tom Hanks tells you it's okay to be evil. I I just don't think it works. I just like him trying to be creepy. I I see intellectually what is trying to be put on screen, but I just don't really buy it. And as I don't uh, going along with that, I don't buy. His the the chemistry of both of them and the emotional core, like Eddie is talking about, of his obsession, especially because she's for the for the entire duration of the period wherein he is nominally falling in love with her, she's like catatonic. She's not there. She's like half spaced all the time. I would imagine if literally switched the actresses and Midge was playing this role, that the natural chemistry there of their talking, you could go, okay, I'm falling in love with her. But, but not if she's being catatonic too. Like, I wonder if it's just that she's so spacey that it's hard to imagine she has enough agency to fall in love with well, him. And that's the thing. It's like maybe, a lot of times I think- Because just, at that point you don't know that she does have that agency. I think, in, I, think in, I think in love just a lot of times is like we assert that agency onto them, whether they exist. Like again, he's just taking fragments of her and sometimes people confuse mysterious for deep. And uh, well, yeah, yeah, but like know, I said, like, I'm just talking about film grammar. I, I was just surprised to find out that the movie was telling me that, that he was falling in love with her. Like, I just didn't see that happening on his end either, really. Yeah, and I just didn't buy when yeah. when he's behaving as if he's falling in love with her. And Eddie, I've always thought you dress funny. And that you look kind of like a douche. And, uh, oh, don't cry. Don't cry. I, I was trying to be constructive. You dress funny and you look like a douche. Well, as long as... If, For the if, record, I was kidding. I know. If we're all going to get if we're all gonna get our shots in on our eyebrows... Um, <laughs> oh, so now you're jumping in, huh? Jumping yeah, Because when you guys started, this the popped... The water's in, great. When you started, this popped in my head. I'm like, nope, don't do it. Don't do it. But now, fuck it. Um, there is... Fuck you and your eyebrows. <laughs> there is a... Uh, there is a mutant in the X-Men comics... <laughs> That's how I'm starting. Uh, I bro not. The, the first no, 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 you'll love this. The the, the first wave of mutants brow. are all just very like single power, or whatever. Cyclops shoots laser eyes. Uh, Angel has wings. Beast is furry. Whatever. By the time the late '90s rolled around, they had to dig pretty deep into the bag of ideas. There's yeah. one named maggot and the idea is that his digestive system existed outside of his body as two 
metallic maggots and the, I am he, on the edge of my seat he waiting just, to connect to Kim Novak. <laughs> he could just throw the and these things just crawled on him <laughs> all the time <laughs> and he could just throw them at whatever and they could eat through titanium doors whatever. The shape of them exactly like her eyebrows. Wow. So every, any minute now I'm expecting those things <laughs> to just jump at Jimmy Stewart and eat him. Now that would be something Hitchcock you genius. Like the eyebrows are talking to each other. <laughs> Well, not anymore. She went and got him. She went and got herself groomed. Well, yeah. What they're doing now is they, and that's subtle. They don't indicate that she thought to do that. What they're, what uh, Kubrick, Hitchcock Mm -hmm. is doing is he's putting the eyebrows back where they were. Kubcock. Just so it's one last little thing to make her look like the girl. The other thing she did was he changed the color of her lipstick. I noticed, but whatever. I love when she's walking out of the door there, the weird sort of processing greenness thing that happens, which is a callback, I think, maybe not, you know, critically. It's just a, a, a device that he used twice. But when he sees her for the first time in the bar and the lighting gets kind of weird and fuzzy for a second, and it's kind of nice. It's like, oh, she is important, which I guess goes against my previous point where you don't use film grammar to tell him that whatever. Anyway, um, but they do that again here where it's like, oh, my God, she's here now. And that device works better here, I think, than it did there, at least because it's a little bit more subtle. But then again, it's not even subtle at all. So whatever. This shot is cool. It's also like I think one of the more famous shots in movies ever sort of deal. Uh, and it's really long and it's just nothing but you watching fucking Jimmy Stewart not quite <laughs> just, nailing yeah. how to make out with a woman. Jesus oh, Christ. Yeah. What planet Jesus are you from? Jimmy. He's like Ooh. like licking her collar. <laughs> like, He's like, like, like twiddly, uh, twiddling with her shoulder pad and shit. Uh, He's like taking the back of her wrist, rubbing it on his forehead and going, you like uh, that? Oh, yeah. Like that, don't you? Is that doing uh, it? My mama told me. Uh, I really, like in a, a scratch in off that moment ticket. we just passed, I really feel like you can see it in his behavior that like Maybe he, he hugs her in, instead of kissing. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to hug. I'm going to hug. I'm going to hug. Sure, really women, women likes when you hug. Baby, them. your scapula. Oh. Is Jimmy Stewart gay? He can't, no, he was probably so. married. No. He was married. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was married. Just like that's like no one ever caught it. No one ever noticed. Right. Like, oh, that's why. <laughs> the whole time. You put a dude there. He is just all. Yeah. He's just <laughs> like. No, Jimmy was fine. It was. Um, those guys, is that the in best those, you in can those, do? In those days, they could pass because you had to. And so. it gives you All such whiplash when you're watching through it. Uh, at, at least I did for the first time when you're watching through it. And this is the first scene in like 40 minutes that he's been normal. Yeah. It's well, like, I, oh, he's back to being nice and fun. Well, man. and by the well, partially because the intonation, the intimation here is that they totally fucked, and that's why she's <laughs> saying like, "No, you'll muss me up again." Like she's she had to go clean herself up. It's kind of like in Mad Men after the. I can't uh, imagine he must her up much the first she's time. All, she's all glowy. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like in Mad Men after like Joan kind of gets raped by her fiance, and he's like, and he's like, "No, oh, cool. Did you clean yourself up?" It's like, yes, asshole. And we <laughs> yeah. just we just, no. Yeah, I figured we go to dinner and yeah, like you know, okay. have you leaking out of me. <laughs> Oh, Every time I sneeze, there you are. Yeah, this. Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so the brilliance of Hitchcock this is far more graphic yeah. for, a, for a Hitchcock movie. Than we we. <laughs> you're aware that happens, right? Yeah, we, okay. we we. I don't think we're their friends in the head anymore. I don't think they want to be friends we're, anymore. We're, we're your creepy uncle in your head, apparently. <laughs> That's what? that's making the highlight. Really. Settle in it's for a, a puppet show. Part of life. Settle in for the puppet show. Eddie's uh, talking about having a kid. You know what that's implying? Uh, yes, but you don't want to hear how the sausage is made. Literally. <laughs> 
We've already figured out what you're gonna name it. I'll I'll share I'll share I'll share the I'll share now, my... she, now she's all over him like see look I I pressed my face on you like this. <laughs> like a leopard. She's learning how he likes it. <laughs> like so a, no games. Like a leopard. This so, was this was me in seventh grade at the YMCA dance. Yeah. Mm. So um, So you're saying what I do is I I, I put my chin on your I, eyes. I, I, yeah. <laughs> If I, if I grind my chin into your into and just your make cheek. sort of indiscriminate, oh, here's what you do: soak your elbow, soak your elbow in lotion for two hours. Then, yes, then okay. But the small of my back, just just rub it right like there. Cut, cut to the next just day, and like like, like yeah. a sewing circle or like a meeting of all our like lady friends, and she's like, "Oh no, my husband, he really likes it when I put my chin in his eyes and do Bob Dylan sounds." There's there's a uh, <laughs> yeah. there's a uh, uh, it's it's not on anymore, but there there's used a peg to be for every hole. That's what we're saying. There used to be a web series on oneup.com called Broken Pixels and uh, it was basically Mystery Science Theater for bad video games and Sean Baby was one of the co-hosts. <laughs> I, I, I got a figure. You remember that? And uh, and one of the games they reviewed was Playboy the Mansion for PS2 oh, and it was like The Sims but in the Playboy Mansion and you threw parties and like it was just a stupidly ridiculous broken game and like half the things like you throw a party and you played half and you walked around and like you'd interface with a person it's like say hello, greet them, ask for an essay to be written. Like it was just so fucking random. And then like finally they find a chick and one of the options is has sex. And they're like, yes, finally, fine. They go have sex. So then the two little characters walk over to the couch. They both do a Wonder Woman twirl and then they're both naked. <laughs> then sure. That's Hef, how it works. The Playboy. Hef sits down while a woman basically dances in front of her. He flips her in the air, catches her upside down and gives her like a raspberry on her belly. And then they repeat that animation for like two minutes, basically until you say stop. And they just, they're watching this in silence and Sean goes like, you, you guys don't know what sex is, do you? (laughs) (laughs) In the chat, by the way, Zarban and Rob are pointing out that we're giving Jimmy Stewart a lot of shit for his negative zone of kissing ability. But (laughs) there, there was the production code to be aware of where you can't do anything, you know, open mouth kissing and graphic shit like that at the time. Oh, showing a toilet in psycho was huge. There was a shot of tits in psycho. Well, no, no. Showing a toilet and acknowledging it in there almost got it banned. Like it was like, like where they say like, and that's the, and, and, and what's her name? Uh, 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 Vivian Lee says the toilet. Uh, Jenna Lee says the toilet. And he's like, yeah, that, that alone almost like didn't pass the the code. No one shits. And you even see it flushed. I mean, they yeah. like, they went the whole way with it. Yeah. Like, oh my god! In the deleted scenes, she just gives him a Cleveland seamer right there. She just <laughs> just shits on his chest. Zarban, there are indeed there are indeed boobies in Psycho. They're just blurry. They're, they're well, and, and one frame of, at a time. Well, amidst, like there's well, all the I don't even mean the shot. You can see it kind of through the god, shower curtain, the but that's not what I'm talking so... about. There's a close up of something in the foreground, and in the background is that shit. The scene is so fucked. And up, they care about toilets. Yeah. The scene is so fucking disturbing. Yeah, like he's he's got the visual grammar of a rapist the entire time. Going like it f- is like going back up the bell tower yeah. again. This is like this could be like a fucking trigger warning for like abuse victims. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Which which she technically is. It's like yeah okay yeah actually I know this story dude it's crazy. Don't don't ask me how is I is the know. indication that her real name is Judy or is that an assumed identity? That was the assumed identity that she had. So she, we, do we ever find out her real name? I don't think so. She uh, Robert Forrester gave her a new identity. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The, the question I have is why wouldn't like part of the deal be that you got to move away yeah. San Francisco? Be, you, yeah. you go to another New York, city. Yeah, you go to New York, you stay in New York forever. <laughs> Omaha, like yeah. just something. Yeah, pay her more money and have her move away. That is that the logical plot hole wise. That is the in the chat. Zarban and Rob are saying that it's her real name, so I don't know. Judy is. Who knows? Uh, maybe that's who she was, and then they hired her to play. I bet Judy line. knows. 
Her real name is Kim. <gasps> Inception. That's, by the way, the first time, and I think the only time in the movie that they do the uh, push-pull shot where they don't kind of like hold on the frame and then do it. They just yeah, cut right. to it happening. And yeah. I think it works better this way than those other ways. Yeah. Where it's like, look, shot of stairs. Beat, beat. Like, that always seemed a little bit... Yeah, it works better on the... If I were editing it, I would cut off the head of it. So all you see is that weird, like, oh my God, what's happening? Movement. I also put that a little bit slower, to be honest. Yeah. Made that shot last three or four seconds over the, over the same, you know, distance. Just not any still on either side of it. Also, this is a... I should have mentioned at the time. Remember when they go to the bookstore and the guy's telling them the deal? And... Or no, it's at, when, he, when he goes to the motel and he's like, she's like, do you want to come up and look in the room? And he just like, just jaunts up the stairs. Did anyone else find that to be like a little, a weird moment? Because I was thinking like he would get a little bit up the stairs and be like, I, I can't or something. Like he just like, oh yeah, sure. And he goes up the stairs, banister and everything. No, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a decent point. Because the, the vertigo really doesn't come up except... When it needs to. When it Really with the purposes of the of the bell tower plot. Other than that, other than establishing it and the bell tower, it really doesn't come up all that much. And also the film grammar, again, of this, the way this last little beat happens is a little confusing because the wiki explains it out loud in a way that the movie doesn't, which is when this, uh, I'll, I'll spare talking about it for the another 30 seconds so that Trey can not be spoiled for the end of Vertigo. <laughs> so in the meantime, someone's going out the window here. But who? But which one? And you jumped on the bank. You jumped on the bank. You're a wonderful swimmer, aren't you? And and Bill. I want to live, Clarence. I want to live. You were awake when I took your clothes off? That's (laughs) creepy. Now it's just weird. (laughs) You took a good thing and you made it weird. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So at what point, is it clear or is it left up to our imagination at what point he actually is supposed to have figured it out? It's the necklace. But what about something about she's wearing it, not wearing it? What's going on? Uh, The necklace was something that Madeline had. This is a girl that he found and it's like, she looks like Madeline. I kind of want to hang out with her. And then all of a sudden, this girl that he found had that same weird fucking necklace. She she was all Madeline out and she puts the necklace on. And he puts the necklace on. It's like, the fuck? And that's when he went. That's a very specific necklace. Oh, let's go to the the chapel and have a talk. Okay. Go into the, the chapel, chapel and I'm gonna God, throw you off. You horrible person. You were- a lot of song parodies in this episode. Good job, guys. Yeah. Between really one way and going to the chapel. I'm really proud of what we've done here the today. The Mad Men theme. <laughs> it's strong work. We've really given this. God this, bless us. This strong work all around. Cinematic history. It's, it's due respect. <laughs> <and> <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah, some people say it's better than Citizen Kane. People ask. Yeah, they do. The, the, it, Citizen <laughs> Kane was the number one on the British Film Institute's list for like 40 years. And then... Uh, a little while ago, they they swapped Citizen Kane and Vertigo. So yeah, so that's something. That's another thing is that this and a, and a bunch of others kind of like didn't exist for thirty years. They they weren't lost per se. Yeah, they were just pulled from release. They were pulled from release and just weren't really on the scene for thirty years. And then they came out again in like what the early eighties, I think. Yeah, I think what so. the um, Vertigo and there's a few this, others. Rope, rope was rope. wasn't oh, available. Oh, video and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or even yeah. just in general release at all. I mean, there was yeah, there was just not available. Yeah, ava- wasn't yeah. Shown. And this didn't this did not light the world on fire cinema like in the theaters <laughs> at you know, the this, time. At yeah. the time, and it, well, it wasn't until it kind of reemerged yeah. as part of that group that it then started getting uh, put on all of those 
best uh, best films of all time list, and then it you know over the years climbed until on some lists it's the number one most amazing film ever made. Which uh, for, according to the BFI, the British film Institute, yeah. and, and a couple others though too. Those guys have clearly not seen "I Love You, Man." Ha! That is a good film. White chicks, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, <laughs> Soul Plane. Hello. Um, I forgot about Soul Plane. <laughs> this is a little movie the I'd like to introduce the you to. Hazard movie. Time Cop. John Carter. Secretary. Okay. And then the other so this thing. is what happened. Oh okay. my God, this so, is a nun. So what this the wiki says. Whenever a nun shows up in a Hitchcock film. Yeah, well, what the wiki says is that, well, and it is legitimately terrifying at first when it's a silhouette, but what the wiki says is she is worried that it's the ghost of fucking Madeline and she is startled and steps back. And it's like, well, you could just say she was like, fuck, what is that? And step back. Yeah. Yeah. In any case, it's not exactly clear because you never actually see her go anywhere. So it's just like none. She's gone. And you're left to assume that she was like shit and fell. But it's also kind of unclear, especially for being the last moment of the movie. I always I always got that. It's like, oh, I it was a trip and fall type thing. Yeah, that's that's the impression I got. But then in the very last shot, you see Jimmy Stewart step out and there's quite clearly a a rather substantial ledge. ledge there. Yeah. Well, like, well, because the framing because the framing on her step back, you don't they don't sell like a fall, like a head over heels fall. You yeah. know what I mean. So it's hard to it's a it's a little a little fuzzy there. Yeah. I so what what was the lesson from that? Don't be a don't work for a rich guy pretending to be his wife because you'll die. No, nuns- I, think, I think the, the I think the legend is for the is for Jimmy for the protagonist in the sense that it's the the it's. It's about never letting, love again. Letting go yeah. and moving on, and don't and don't uh, you know? Yeah. Like it's just about. Yeah, that's true. There is a benefit to moving the fuck on. There is a benefit to. It's like you said at the beginning. Nostalgia yeah. is killing you. It's yeah, your nostalgia and your your inability to cope with your past failure. With the the, the past is a construct, and and I guess we can do the whole wrap up thing, but that's that's the least what I took from it. Yeah. Now, um, I was I had a thing, but then I was listening to your point. Shit, I forgot. Anyway, I'd like to hear this commentary with William Friedkin. He probably says all kinds of yeah. When that popped up, stuff. I was like the is William Friedkin doing on the commentary track? <laughs> anyway. Because uh, Hitchcock's dead. Vertigo. Was, uh, William Friedkin was a PA on Vertigo. Really? No. No. Oh, <laughs> totally that was good. That. You could have totally sold that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was I, a kid. I with you on that, yeah. No, um, this was the first Hitchcock movie I'd ever seen, and I was surprised at how much I dug it and how sort of accessible I found it to be, and even more so with Psycho. I was blown away by Psycho. I thought Psycho was just so cool and watchable. And uh, I can't wait to crack into the rest of them. But as it stands, Vertigo, I'm on both sides of the fence here. Like, I think it's great. I can also see how it plays a little long. And there's a few film grammar moments that I have nitpicks about. But it's a, I, I love watching Jimmy Stewart in this role throughout. He goes through a bunch of weird little changes. And I, I love that a movie exists with the dynamic that this movie is, is trying to get to. It's, it's building up to get to the point where it can make this whole point about the way that dynamics can work between people and how nostalgia can just screw with your fucking uh, every perception you have of someone else and all that stuff. And when I just love that that's in a movie and that it's vertigo. Cool. Cause that means I get to like vertigo as much as everyone else. If that wasn't there, I would find this to be kind of a slow, maybe even boring caper. But as it stands, I, I see why people like it a lot. I'm not sure why this one of all the Hitchcock stuff, because I've only seen two and I already liked one more than this one. But yeah. then again, I'm not the guy calling the shots. So as it stands, cool go Hitchcock and I like Vertigo and uh, one of these days we got to do Psycho because that one's a lot of fun Brian <laughs> uh, I'm so worried about you <laughs> yeah I I like the idea at the heart of it and I like the execution of the idea at the heart of it um, but to me there's just a lot 
kind of built around it that doesn't really work or there's too much around it um and like i said i don't think it's it's certainly not one of my more favorite uh hitchcock there's other hitchcock films i prefer uh greatly uh and yeah i don't i mean it's fine i'm not i'm not saying it's a bad movie or i dislike the movie or i don't you know see the value at all in this movie at all but i don't see really how this could be considered the best film of all time uh do you see that for citizen kane no but i do think citizen kane is a superior film to this um why can you put a name on it is it just that it was so revolutionary way uh, 30 years before this i just think it's tighter i mean i think the the idea of economy most of the time is so central to uh excuse me to to a film and this film just doesn't seem very economical to me which is not to say you can't have a, a slow movie there's a difference between something being fast and something being economical uh so i mean I couldn't really get more articulate than that at this moment, but this movie does not feel very economical to me. It's certainly not the most economical. Like streamlined. Yeah. Uh, But even that's like not exactly the right idea. Um, It's not even the most economical of of Hitchcock's in my opinion. And um, yeah. Hmm. Does that that all make sense? Edward? I think some movies need economy. And I think some movies... Uh, I'd say I would say most movies need uh, a plot that moves in an economic fashion and the characters motivate, you know, the characters actions be motivated in an economic way. I would say that's true of most movies. I would also say not every movie has to or should perform as such. And I think a movie like this, this movie is performing a high wire act and you have to climb the ladder. Yeah. And it's chasing and it's chasing a different set of goals and a sort of it's grappling with a different set of demons than I think of simply telling like you call it a caper movie. I, it's not a caper movie. It's not a caper movie. That at was all. just my vocabulary. Yeah. It's, oh no, sorry, but it's not. It's not even. It's not even like. It's not even like a. It, it, it's a incredibly small story when you think of it. What he's after and what he's trying to pursue here is explore some ideas that don't normally get explored, especially this way. Um, and like I said at the beginning. Uh, I love movies that sort of explore the notion that a bad guy is not a person over there doing a bad thing. A good guy is not on the opposite side doing a good thing. Both are capable of anything under the right set of circumstances. The first half of the film has to set him up in order to explain how he could do some, in my mind, really despicable acts especially for a good guy. Yeah, that's what Galen says in the chat room. He's like, I love this movie just because by the end, I totally believe that uh, Jimmy Stewart's about to kill that lady. And that's the thing. He's never acting out of character. He's the same guy. And his he's he's behaves in the same way. And like it's just his character is just tweaked and just pushed and prodded. In my mind, it's very it's it, Breaking Bad did something very similar, except it had the advantages of five seasons and meth. And <laughs> and as a result, like I just think that like in the span of a two hour movie um this move this move or two and a half hours i think because it's a little on the long side um i think this accomplishes what few movies have to do you can't be walking into the movie like this really concerning yourself with plot if you're looking for plot show's over folks we're closed move should have told you you know like it's it's you don't come here looking for an engaging plot come here to spend time with characters that maybe are just a bit too close to ourselves that's mm. that's how i always viewed this one drastics See, I was just screwing with all the vowels and Trey Stokes. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. 
Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it needs about a half hour cut out of the first hour. Um, that would that would solve a lot of the issues. It's um, you know I I get all the things about what it's doing, and it, it finally becomes an interesting movie after ninety minutes when the, the plot starts to actually happen, but. I, I disagree. I do not think we need every frame of Jimmy Stewart parking his car to uh, to properly set up what's going on with this uh, with this movie. Um, and also, it's just, it's it seems just very muddy plot wise and and story wise. It's like, well, there was a setup at the beginning that I think they're trying to say is paid off at the very end. It's like, well, but another emotional shock will bring you out of vertigo. And then he's at the very end. He's standing at the edge of the ledge, clearly not affected by looking over the edge of the mm-hmm. ledge. So I think they're trying to close that loop, and yet. Vertigo is never his problem throughout the movie. The movie forgets it's called Vertigo for the first 90 minutes until it remembers that he's supposed to have a problem with Vertigo. And it's just a structural kind of a heap. And uh, it's but most of it is the isn't San Francisco pretty in Vista Vision first 90 minutes that I think is extremely excessive. And once it once it starts to get into its plot, now that I know what the plot is, uh, I think it's you know it's it's, it's workable and it's, and and I agree with everything about how yeah it's twisted and it's messed up and it's all about how people are fucks and yeah that's that's all great but I watched ninety minutes of this movie and never had an inkling that it was ever going to do anything like that yeah so it was like well I think that was about you know sixty minutes too much of that beginning that didn't have anything to do with what this movie was going to be ultimately about when it remembered it had to be about something so this is interesting you know I'm interesting misfire you know it's like yeah yeah I'll go against the grain and you know William Friedkin can can beat me up you know he can have a different opinion but but uh, this one is definitely not my favorite Hitchcock. Um, not that I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, but uh, I think North by Northwest is in this zone. It's not about twisted obsession. It's just more about guy in a, in a bad situation. It's a little more lighthearted, a little more wacky. That's a, that's a classic wrong man. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's purely wrong man. But it's, you know, it's more entertaining while still feeling having the same kind of Hitchcock style to it. I think it's just a better constructed script is uh, North by Northwest. In the chat, Galen says, I wonder if it was titled Obsession, if that would make a difference. It'd be too on the nose, I would say. Like, I just, it's like, I, well, I don't it, know. It would get you through the first 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, well, it wouldn't get me through the first 90 nah. minutes. Yeah, I think that's. I, I think if you're a person swayed by the title, then you've got bigger problems. So, And, and another thing, by the way, I didn't mention this, but I thought it was just kind of odd. Uh, it occurred to me before I popped in the DVD for the first time the other day that I had no idea at all what vertigo is about like i knew what psycho is about just culturally i knew vertigo was a thing but i had no i, yeah. I literally went, nor did i i, mean, I, I, I literally was, had no idea what at all it was about I. and it was a guy it's about fear of someone has a fear of heights yeah that's what that's i thought what I, was, I was like okay I so too. that's all i know from the anyway yeah, so anyway, this has been What Are You Doing Movie? You can always find more episodes at friendsinyourhead.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Get a brand new episode every single week. Twitter.com slash friendsinyourhead. Facebook.com slash friendsinyourhead. Uh, friendsinyourhead at gmail.com. And you can come to friendsinyourhead.com slash live to watch these shows every week. It's a good time, and we recommend that you do it. Go to the forum. It's a great community of people. Register, sign up. Join the conversation. It's wonderful. Buy our shirts. Give us money. Holden Hill Design and maintain the website. Until next week, my name is T. Christie. Brian Fenster. Eddie Doty. Chase Doak. This has been What Are You Doing Movie? Good night. Good night. Why are you rubbing your chin on my eye, movie? <laughs> you like that, don't you? You like that, don't you? See, the coolest thing about Alfred Hitchcock is if you guys ever... I, I bet this is a thing that's completely disappeared from the cultural radar, but the uh, the Young Detectives books? Nope. See? Oh, nothing, wow. nothing doing. No, you know, I, I'm Eddie, aware of ringing a bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know He's aware. There was a whole series of books. Yeah. Young adult books. 
that I was a, when I was a young adult. They had the Hitchcock branding on it, right? Exactly. They were pretty. They were, and, the, and he was in them. I mean, he was a character in them. Yeah. The, the idea was like it was this. It was this sort of like Encyclopedia Brown kind of Hardy Boys kind of story. But they lived these three boys who lived in Hollywood in the Hollywood area, and they would solve crimes. And Alfred Hitchcock was like their pal. And he would like he was like he, their day, out, yeah. he was like their Deus Ex Machina, where they could if they were really in trouble they would they would go they had to drive onto the Paramount lot whenever they wanted one, and they would go and he, they would take a meeting with Hitchcock and he would go well perhaps you should check the such and such that's and adorable, and uh, people in the chat know what you're talking about Zarbin yeah, and one Galen read those yeah there was like dozens of them and uh, they lived and they had a, they lived in a, their their secret hideout was in a junkyard they had a like an Airstream trailer that was covered with junk so no one knew it was there and that was their that was their special office and it was like. I always thought that would be awesome to like be able to, you know, go to work with Alfred Hitchcock and solve crimes and stuff. That I liked cool. uh, Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, it's like that. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, the Encyclopedia Brown is all about can you solve the mystery. These right. Were, these were just straightforward books. Yeah. Like, little, but, uh, adventure, but but there was mysteries. there was a you know there was an element of you know if you were smart and clever and read closely you could you could figure you could out figure the mystery out, along yeah. with uh, along with the characters. But cool. Yeah. Man. The end. And we did it. The end. Alfred Hitchcock. Trendsinyourhead.com.